0: there's no place to escape to this is the last on the left (laughs) that's when the
1: cannibalism
0: started what was that
1: i want to set the scene it's 1989 a young talked henry Zabrowski with his parents exit uh, showing of Ghostbusters 2. Wow. In the Regal Cinemas in Jamaica, Queens. It's just like the origin story of Bruce Way. As we were walking down that alleyway, my father in his top hat, my mother in her fur coat, <laughs> uh-huh. and I in a Ghostbusters shirt and, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle jogging pants that are covered in pizza stains. Cool <laughs> kid. We walk down the street, and then they are hastily gunned down.
0: Whoa!
1: And I knew... I had to take the streets back You must By becoming the dreaded nightmare of every criminal in Queens Angina
0: man Whoa
1: (laughs) Bringing Ajita to every oh. fat fuck Eating a chicken parm Anywhere from Ozone Park To JFK Airport Hey man, let's get the heck out of here And Chinaman's Man's around yeah, yeah, you wanna come closer? Because if not, I'm gonna take away his Antec It ain't easy being a criminal anymore Welcome Regal to- Park, Ozone Park Woodhaven, Queens This is all about my town My fucking city My fucking decade Woo! The down last home- podcast on the left, everyone <laughs> I am City Field, man. Fuck that fucking new ass (laughs) shit. Hanging
2: out with Man, Henry Zabrowski and Marcus Parks. Today's topic brings us to an era that can only be described as horrible. Can't wait to get into it. What are you talking about?
1: This is my childhood.
2: I know. (laughs) Do you remember your childhood? Yeah. And what do you think of it usually?
1: I'd actually, I'm going to tell you what, honestly, I don't remember whole patches and years of it. That's
2: fantastic. That's called... compartmentalizing trauma. Okay, everyone, today we are on to a conversation about a man who I've actually, I'm quite excited to talk about. His name is Joel Rifkin,
1: and we're going to get into it. Henry, is it angina or angina? Angina. And angina. Angina, angina. angina is that, like, you know, you got a fat gut, and your gut is pressing on your fucking guts. And that gives <laughs> right? you angina? It's okay. on the inside gut. So you got your top gut, the meat that surrounds the casing of your gut is actually pressing in on uh-huh. your inside guts. Hmm, I feel like an
2: angina <laughs> is a person who has a vagina so large uh, that they don't have a taint. Uh, angina <laughs> is chest
1: paints. Oh, okay. is that right? uh-huh. Angina is chest paints, and then agita is a lot of times they're together. Angina, Ajida. it's all things for guys who can, whose wrists are so thick they can barely get a chain
2: on. Well, I think one of the first gals <laughs> I kissed in high school was named Angina.
1: Beautiful. Isn't that nice? Horrible. <laughs> that's how you know, again, that's how you know this crime takes place in Long Island. We'll get into it. It's horrible. <laughs>
3: Joel Rifkin was an American serial killer who operated in New York City in the late 80s and early 90s. Over the course of four years, Joel murdered 17 women using a wide variety of methods, and his disposal methods similarly changed from victim to victim. Sometimes Rifkin would dismember the bodies piece by piece and throw them in either the Hudson or the East River. Other times, the bodies would be dumped whole in steamer trunks or stuffed in oil barrels or even just left out in the open. In only one case, Rifkin buried the body in a shallow grave.
1: Every single documentary, Mm. every piece of of media about Joel Rifkin, and there's a significant amount. There's a lot. uh, Fair amount, yeah. It's mostly because uh, Joel Rifkin... Like he, Bumblebutt comes up quite a bit. Ed Kemper. He's a little similar to Ed Kemper. He loves the sound of his own voice. but oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll talk about it. But he's a, he's a yapper. Yeah. And because Wait he's a, a yapper, you're talking
2: about someone in 1989 from Queens talking too much. He talks quite <laughs> a bit. I can't and, believe it.
1: Uh, he is one of my dad's friends. Yeah. Like, not even an exaggeration. Bobby Franco is the guy that my father knew.
2: Bobby Franco.
1: Bobby Franco, whose big claim. He was who's trying to get everybody to move to Pensacola, Florida. Well, why wouldn't uh-huh. you? Because he said it was, that's the unheard of paradise of the tropics.
0: Okay. <laughs> and then his
1: fucking house got wiped away by God because he deserved it, right? Oh. But like, nature came. The Gulf of Mexico uh-huh. reclaimed his home.
2: Well, that's always something to remember during natural disasters that perhaps the, some of the homes that were destroyed were horrible people. People's. Yes, and yeah.
1: he's got a rat-like face. Oh. He, but there, there's a lot of there's a lot of material on Joel Rifkin. People have really studied him for a long time, and I wonder why. And quite extensively. And there's a part of me that wonders why, because he is kind of like the boilerplate serial killer.
0: No. Yeah.
3: yeah, he really is. As far as victim type went, Joel Rifkin preyed exclusively on sex workers plying their trade on the streets of New York City. As a result, Joel Rifkin is New York City's number one serial killer number when it comes one. to body count. Number or at least, one. At least he's number one amongst those who have been caught.
1: I never sleep. You never <laughs> sleep at all. The sleep- I, I have, honestly, I do. I. Medically, I need to sleep. You do, at least eight (laughs) hours a night. uh, you know, but I'm just saying my
2: hours are varied and long. (laughs) I see. Is he the, uh, well, I guess the movie Maniac came out far before these murders, but doesn't it remind you of Maniac, that uh, really creepy film, the original, of course?
3: There, There are some similarities. Yeah. See, Rifkin was caught completely by chance, like most serial killers are, because the time and place in which Rifkin operated was on par with Vancouver during the reign of Robert Picton in terms of opportunity. Fuck oh, you.
0: you're
2: not going to want to dismember you. her that way. How dare which you no, you're no, 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 no. do is time for Canada. <laughs> no.
1: Right? How dare you compare? Queens to vancouver queens is the also,
2: canada of henry, america i don't oh, you're know not why you're... Wanna, you're not gonna want to you're not gonna want to do it that way i've yeah. heard that in queens as well it's yeah lower east
3: side I, I absolutely has yes henry you're trying to claim queens is where this entire story happened not even close no it's not lower east even Side.
1: Close. lower east side of long <laughs>
3: island which is if you put them together as queens it's just new york city map <laughs> oh i see
2: that's a uh, interesting color scheme
3: well, Rifkin's hunting ground was New York City in the early 90s, which was quite possibly the worst of the bad old days brought up so often by the New York Post when crime happens to spike even the tiniest bit here in the five boroughs. But don't worry. That's why you have your occupying army
1: there now, Marcus. Yeah, and it's awesome. Woo! They got net guns and robot dogs Great. and missile launchers. <laughs> awesome. And so wow, yeah. we really come a long way.
2: Don't
3: you feel yeah. safe? Yeah. Do you guys imagine that th- those are like patrolling the streets at all times? Because I've never seen any of that.
1: Well, uh, no, they did have the robot dog out there, and I was there there once. there's way more assault rifles than they air in new york city yeah. way more than there is in california <laughs> you also live in you know you live in a
2: relatively safe area i, I bet do you I more do. people's but you people in different areas see more robot dogs yeah when i lived and on then the j train oh the nice thing about the robot dog when they send them undercover to get drugs so they're like
1: i want some crap no it's like <laughs> halt halt you will be terminated oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> i see but no when i used to live in the, off the j train it was uh it was constant men with assault rifles
2: oh yeah
3: yeah i remember fantastic well, specifically, the bad old days during Joel Rifkin's spree were a result of the crack epidemic. And with Aww. crack came the highest murder rate in the history of New York City. In 1990, murders in New York City peaked at 2,262. For some perspective, the murder rate in New York City last year was 488, 78% lower, meaning our town has a long, long way to go before it returns to the so-called bad old days. Well, you guys are well on your way, and I think you're going to get there. I think
0: you can get there. You
1: can get there. You know, there's also uh, one day... We will do, it. I want to, we will do a whole series on the idea of the birth of crack. Absolutely. Fascinating. This, yeah.
2: We covered it a little bit with our CIA, MKUltra, the tiniest, tiniest, somewhat, bit, right? tiniest but not tiniest really. Bit. No, it's not a talking...
3: gigantic story that involves right. a lot of different people going all the way to the fucking top.
1: And Ooh. I was going to introduce some information about that, like, but it's so. It's so intense. Well, as, a, as
2: a matter of fact, Henry's digging in his pocket right now. Well, look at that crack
1: rock. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, this is my lucky crack rock. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. This is, uh, you, you just this rubbed that one. This is for openness. Um, I have this one right next to you. This is my other crack rock, which <laughs> yeah. is for,
2: this is for wish fulfillment and focus. You know what? Honestly, if it was legalized, it would be just like that.
1: Uh, <laughs> Wait, the, uh, a part of it, it's, it seemed to, in a way, it's like kind of let New York get real, real bad. Yeah, and then dumped a bunch of drugs in it, and then sort of use it as an example of why they would need an occupying army. In a way, it almost kind of seems like it all was done in a in a purposeful way. I
2: think to, so to rip
1: apart the classes and a, you know in a, in a not so subtle way of uh, putting down the poor and and rising up the rich.
2: Let's yeah. see what
3: happens. That's about one of I would say four to five reasons why it was done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a it's a multifaceted octopus. I mean, you want to talk. About about the octopus of fucking malice. Yeah, that's the octopus. But well, we got to do it though. Reason number yeah.
1: three is just have a good time. I mean, crack <laughs> is great. People love it. Sure, it's very popular for a reason. I guess so. It's like the, I'd say it's the Dane Cook
2: of drugs. Absolutely, it definitely makes you act out.
3: Well, regardless, when a drug as addictive as crack is being purposefully funneled into American cities, you're going to have people who will do anything to get more of it once the addiction takes hold. And when that situation arises, you're going to have a large increase in related crimes like murder, theft, assault. And high risk sex work. And since there was so much violent crime and so many murders, and since you had cops like Henry's father making up a fair portion of the NYPD during this time period, (laughs) the deaths and disappearances of sex workers didn't rake high on the NYPD priority list in the early 90s. I
1: know you like, I know this is a pointed jab at my father, and he it's was a complicated pointed jab
2: man. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not that complicated. Uh, I mean, the nice thing no, about your father is it was like when he's seeing double, he's
1: like two cops. We, but He is a man that became a cop in order to avoid being harassed by cops. And what I will say, the best thing about my father uh-huh. is that he took a desk job immediately. That yeah. as soon as he could, he didn't want to be a bully. He just was a bully to his family. Family. And so he t- he d- got that out Good. of the system at home. Great. And then uh, at, at work, he investigated deadly car accidents. So he was far away from all of the sex worker <laughs> deaths being swiped under the rug.
2: Very interesting backpedaling <laughs> from no, Henry Zabrowski. It's just, true.
1: it's just true. We can talk about your family history. We can oh, talk you about do. Marcus's family oh, history.
3: You yeah, we can. We
2: can, we can. Yeah, yeah, talk we, about it. Yeah,
3: we've all got our ghosts, our skeletons. We're at least
2: we're one generation removed.
1: Hey, I am. I'm
2: fixing
3: it. Hey, I'm like five generations removed. Don't look at me now. Despite how Joel, R- yeah, yeah, no, okay. both, I mean that's a th- people on the listening cannot see the knowing looks that you two just uh-huh. exchanged. <laughs> yes. Now, despite how Joel Rifkin might be portrayed in certain recent true crime documentaries, Oxygen, I'm looking fucking squarely at you. He was not some brilliant monster who was so clever and so smart that he was able to evade capture mm-hmm. for almost five years—a so-called invisible man. Every cop is obsessed
1: with him being invisible. Right, invisible. Invin-
2: Invincible. They all
1: say he's invisible, right? Like they were like, and every cop would talk like they were like he had some superpower. It was like one dude who was like, "This guy, yeah, he was invisible." You can see him. He, he's like an octopus. You know that? Well, Yo, I can see an can octopus. Change its no, but it can change its skin. You'd fucking know that if you went to the zoo Wait, one time, you fucking moron. Why would it
2: change its skin at the zoo?
0: Because it
1: doesn't want to be seen because it's shy. <laughs> I don't know. Octopuses change.
0: Oh, I'm trying to say.
1: Octopuses change the color of their skin, much like this guy, He's like a stealing apples everywhere. Can't see him if I wanted to. His head all bandaged up. He's got the goggles on. That's
2: that's the dark man or the, the, the man who wasn't there. Invisible. Invisible. All right, fantastic. I was just going to say, it's ironic that the network oxygen usually talks about people who are losing oxygen as they get choked to death. It Great. Is- yeah, fantastic. That oh, yeah. is
3: ironic. That is you did yeah. use irony correctly. Yeah, in that, in oh, that, yeah. And that's that's like ten
1: thousand spoons, man. But <laughs> oh, you, you, say I, you say it
3: every time. You say it every time. Well, instead of Rifkin being the Invisible Man, he evaded capture because his victims were invisible. Yes. Oh. New York City had no idea that a serial killer had murdered seventeen women until the New York Post put a picture of Rifkin on the front page with a headline that read, "I killed seventeen women." Well, if you're just gonna go out and say it like that, I guess he musta. Jeez,
2: Louise! <laughs> Not exactly. Guy. He's
1: bragging about it. Like, I thought he was some kind of invisible man. Yeah. He being super fucking visible. I think well, he's a hypocrite.
2: Yeah, indeed. The, he's the he's the John Cena of serial killers. You just can't
3: see him. Well, in fact. It would not be any sort of stretch to speculate that Rifkin could have reached Picton-level numbers around 50 had he not been caught red-handed in the dumbest, most Mr. Magoo capture of a serial killer that I've ever heard. Wow. However, to be absolutely fair, many of the women Joel killed were never even reported missing by anyone, nor were some of their bodies found before Joel directed police to their location. For example, hmm. his first victim wasn't reported missing until after Joel Rifkin was caught. That was five years after her death oh and disappearance that someone finally got around to noticing Heidi ain't around no more.
2: It's just an elongated version of Home Alone where they're counting the kids on the plane and they're like, <laughs> Kevin! It's like, how long does it take before you realize this
1: woman is gone? Well, Joel Rifkin specifically targeted those that were at their most desperate ends of their life. Um, he, yeah. I think that what, was, what he sensed was people that were already in his terms and he even said that was that he he was like they were going to be dead anyway and yeah. so in his mind, uh. they we he specifically went after the most skinny, the most obviously strung out on drugs, mm. the most visibly sick, and he would use them. So really these are people that, on the weakest, yeah, the most weak, oh, the most yeah. uh, d- the most separated from any sort of uh, like source of comfort or, or security.
2: This is why if I was going to be a serial killer and I killed sex workers, I would kill those Chippendale male dancers. They're going to give you a good struggle. They're muscular, <laughs> so you know when I kill them, I'm you, a real man. You just
1: want to pay to wrestle a man. <laughs> No, no, you can't. No,
3: yes, no. But even though no one cared about the people he killed before he was caught, New York City took notice after his capture. In the biggest example, an entire episode of Seinfeld, released just yeah. five months after Rifkin's capture, revolves around Elaine dating a man named Joel Rifkin, which causes many amusing problems.
1: It is, it is amusing of course. because oh yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: And that is also a rarely replayed episode, by the way. You don't see that one on TBS very often. It's dark.
2: I also love that episode because Kramer says at the very end, okay, guys, I'm going to go do stand-up comedy. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're like, good luck. Good luck, Kramer. And then Jerry's like, don't steal my act. Coming for you, Michael Richards. (laughs) Wow. No, Kramer. Michael Richards
0: is dead.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Kramer lives. Interestingly, as a sidebar, during the scene in that episode in which Elaine proposes a series of first names that her boyfriend could change to from Joel, she suggests as a safe bet the name OJ mm-hmm.
0: just six
3: months before OJ murdered Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. What it's did the they know show about nothing? What did they know? I Who have they been talking to? Exactly. Exactly. But while the sharing of the name in the Seinfeld episode has more to do with the fact that Joel Rifkin brutally murdered so many women, it would be equally embarrassing to share a name with Joel Rifkin, the human being, Mm. who is probably one of the wormiest, whiniest and most pathetic killers we've ever covered.
2: Really?
1: Oh, yeah, dude. This story is, you know... Every person at this table has been brutally bullied on some level Mm -hmm. or another, right? Absolutely. But this is the story of a person, as one early friend of Joel Rifkin puts, was called a, they called him an abuse unit, which was he was, that he was the type of guy that not only was naturally bullied by anybody who ever met him because of, there's something about him that became a, he was a walking target, but. In the torturing of him, he became even more annoying. It <laughs> sure. caused the cycle of abuse to continue. And it's like, yeah, this came from a big, like, you know, buzz-cutted right. like mook from Long yeah.
2: Island. He didn't have the moment where he stands up to the bullies and becomes a mad. Uh no. Okay.
3: No, he does not. No, we had a kid like that in our school too. I know exactly what he's. I I mean, I, I don't justify it. I don't say that it's right, but I know what he was talking about. Like, I'm no saint. I. There was one kid below me. I was second as far as like bully the bully rungs go. I was second. There was one kid below me who I got to bully, and then yeah. everybody bullied him bullied him as well. Uh, and he was also an asshole. That was the other thing about well, it. That everyone bullied him, it. but he was also a massive dickhead.
1: And isn't he on like your like state legislature now or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, I
2: think he is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think he's uh he's My one opinion. of the people who want to do away with sodomy laws yeah. or bring oh, yeah. them back rather there well, in Texas. This is yeah, what these guys, is,
1: this is kind yeah. of what he's like. Okay. He yeah. is like that. He is a perennially. A fucking pain in the ass that everybody hates
3: Gotcha yeah. Well Rifkin is one of those rare serial killers In league with BTK Who had no extreme trauma in their childhood When it comes to parental or familial abuse This again completely blows The mommy and daddy theory out of the water When it comes to looking at the causes of serial killing Or at the very least It makes the study of the serial killing phenomenon Less reductive it's not as simple as they like to make it. There
1: sure. a really interesting documentary we we talked with the uh, woman that worked with him. It was the new documentary about BTK uh, mm. that and it's you talk with Catherine Ramsland. It was we a talk, fantastic b- documentary series. I love it. Catherine Ramsland has a way of of putting it is that well that I think is really interesting is that until she got that close that because they're very similar. Until she right. got the close relationship with BTK it wasn't fully revealed how deep and intense his fantasy life was and how early it started yeah. and that this is kind of what we're going to see the same pattern in joel rifkin where it is a i think that he doesn't didn't really want to talk about how deep and dark his fantasies were right. for so long
0: mm-hmm.
1: because he it doesn't want to because even joel rifkin in his own mind is kind of like i'm just some guy I'm just, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, meanwhile, he's been thinking about like torturing and murdering women since he was four years old. And you can listen
2: to that episode on our Patreon. Yes. A fantastic interview. Mm-hmm. And again, thanks to everyone who gives to our Patreon. Uh, this is a great time to plug that. Just a great time <laughs> to do it. Most kids, they, most kids do the three, two, one, and they shoot the basketball into the hoop and they're like, I did the winning shot. I did the winning shot. But apparently, Joel Rifkin was like, three, two, one. And he's like, and I
1: choke and I choke and I choke.
3: Interesting. Different childhoods. (laughs) Different childhood Childhood fantasies. Every
1: childhood is different.
3: Yeah. Every childhood is different. Um
1: I wanted to be on stage. Yes, we know.
3: Well, Rifkin blames most of his serial killing on childhood bullies and society at large. And while he admittedly did have a rough go of it growing up when it came to bullying, he still chose to murder 17 women. Yeah. Where people who have had it far worse have murdered exactly zero.
1: Yeah, look at Elon Musk. (laughs) <laughs>
3: yeah, look at
1: Look at, look at him. him, he's doing great <laughs> I don't
3: know if he was
2: bullied I don't know, honest. actually, yeah. I think he always be think a, yeah. yeah,
1: the assassin's his little boy right from A roast as dark as the night
0: Well,
3: for our source today, we've got an entertaining book called From the Mouth of the Monster from a former cop named Robert Mladenich, (laughs) who briefly knew Joel Rifkin in the late 70s.
1: You mean brief? Every friendship is sacred. And for some reason, I remember... Every single moment of our friendship (laughs) in a way that I would write into a book that I would sell. That that would become (laughs) a very big documentary series for me as well. (laughs) Uh,
2: Your Officer Milagovitch? Yeah. Officer Milagovitch. I know
1: if you can't say it, you're drunk.
3: (laughs) So you're going to jail. All right. I might be saying it wrong, but I think it's uh, Robbie Mladenich. 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 Yeah. Something like that. Okay. as a result of their short friendship, Mladenich was able to extensively speak to Joel Rifkin himself, meaning there's not a lot of guesswork when it comes to murder and disposal methods. However, as it always is with the last living witness, it's important to take Rifkin's claims and especially his observations about himself with a grain of salt.
1: I just always love a serial killer's version of themselves. It's so funny. Because it, you can tell a lot about them, what they think about their yep. own
3: crimes. Right. Yeah. See, if I were to compare Rifkin's interviews with Mladenich to anyone, they share quite a bit in common in tone with, as Henry said, Ed Kemper's disturbingly detached sessions with FBI profilers. But where Kemper comes off as somewhat academic, even highfalutin, Rifkin sounds more like a Long Island regular Joe who talks about his murders with all the emotion and self-reflection of a guy who's recounting the last time he mowed his lawn.
2: Oh, you tell me people don't take that super seriously in Long Island? People will cry (laughs) if they get a perfect mow.
3: All I know is, is if I'm
1: even an inch off with my HOA. This one time they came around, mm-hmm. they grabbed my mother and they put her head in a fucking plastic bag. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Can't we talk about this? Can't we talk about this? And they're like, if this grass doesn't come in half an inch, the fucking bitch dies. She dies. And I was like, fair? Of course it's because fair because I read the rules. You did read the rules, and, um, <laughs> but honestly, you know just fucking kill her oh. just, fucking, just fucking kill her okay. just mow the lawn please sir <laughs> I, I, honestly I can't get to it till Tuesday so.
3: but that's the thing when you describe this like I have such this a clear memory of the day that me and Carolina drove down to Amityville to go check out the DeFeo house and that mm-hmm. neighborhood is this like oh, I can yeah. just imagine that like that just Long Island neighborhood all these guys are all there
1: they're all this, it's the same fucking schmool <laughs> every guy it's all It's just, it's, oh God, this documentary was so triggering to me. I've watched so many of these. Just, oh, just, I just remember being uncomfortably at the police station while my father and all of them were doing shots and I'm playing the Donkey Kong game. And it's just like, oh man.
3: Well, concerning sources, I also have to note that some of the stories that Mladenich told in his book. ...differ wildly from how he later told the same stories in the aforementioned Oxygen documentary. Now, it could be that he obtained new information after the publication of his book that brought these stories into sharper focus. But, considering how the editing in that doc was very choppy and obviously done for time... I think that Mladenich was more likely directed to shorten or sweeten his stories by a producer. And considering how shoddy one-part true crime deep TV documentaries can be with facts and timelines, we're going to go with what Mladenich wrote in the first place.
2: It's not... Okay, hear me out now. It's not lying. It's not lying. We're trying to make a good show here. It's editing. It's editing. Make a good show here.
3: It's one of the worst edited true crime documentaries I've ever seen. It's fucking nuts. It's like watching an episode of 90 day fiance when the fucking the glasses of beer go from full to empty to full to empty over the course of one conversation
1: she found her man and now she's taken i'm sorry i was doing like a stinger from 90 day fiance they always do those horrible stingers <laughs> um but i do appreciate any documentary where they let the serial killer run his mouth because yeah. i just love seeing they. oh i like to see the way they recount the information
2: 60 day fiance there you go you fucking assholes I just made your next great show yeah,
3: 59 day fiance man, <laughs> yeah, that's one day less than 60 wow it really is and that's really going to turn up the pressure it I mean, really press. will I mean can you imagine four day those fiance. Two...
1: <laughs> welcome to four day fiance you got a fucking venue yet should have started a year ago
3: <laughs> can you imagine how those two assholes from South Dakota would handle things if they only had 60 days instead of 90 I don't think space cash would have a hell of a whole lot to say and wouldn't be doing a very good job if they did. Poor poor space cash man. <laughs> He's fucked.
1: That pink pink cowboy is fucked.
3: <laughs> I don't know. So Without further ado, <laughs> I sound like my father. no He's space channel no, no space, space cash is the is I don't his know. bandmate. It's, it's I think Jabri is the name of the the man who dresses like a 6-year-old girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic. Like, Fantastic. Like
1: Marco Robbie from the Barbie movie. Awesome. <laughs> yes.
3: That's what, that was Carolina's observation. He dresses yeah. Jabri he dresses like a little girl. Fantastic. I love that show. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's get into the story of Joel Rifkin starting with his childhood. Joe Rifkin. <inaudible> hey, how you doing?
1: Come on down Queens. Enjoy your life here. You can get a whole six yards of soup.
2: Wow, six yards of soup. Fantastic.
3: Well, Joel Rifkin was adopted by Gene and Bernard Rifkin in 1958, who found Joel through a service that placed Jewish children with Jewish families. Oh. This fact is interesting because it makes Joel Rifkin the only known truly Jewish serial killer outside of Harvey Glattman, who murdered four women in the 50s. Glad the Glamour Man. Girl. <laughs> what, about,
2: what about Berkowitz? David Berkowitz, yeah,
3: we never but, knew. We know. Yeah. We don't really know. No, we do know Berkowitz was. I mean, people always put Berkowitz as an example of a Jewish serial killer, uh, but his name was not. He was not Jewish. Remember, his real name was like Dick Falco. Yeah. Richard Falco. Oh, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to note that while both Rifkin and Berkowitz were adopted. Berkowitz was not, as I put it oh so long ago, a mother vagina Jew.
1: Mother vagina Jew means you get the card when you leave. Fantastic. But the thing <laughs> is that when you leave the hospital day, you, you get the you're a Jewish card. Oh, okay. yes. It's if it's driver's not, license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay. So Rifkin, just want to say, Mazeltov. Okay, <laughs>
2: fantastic. He did it. There you go. Good job, buddy. Breaking, he's the Sandy Koufax of
0: serial killers. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Concerning Rifkin's adopted parents, they seem by all accounts to be perfectly normal, loving people with perfectly conventional lives who adopted not just Joel, but a girl named Jan two years later. And that's their biggest crime. What, it's adopting Joel and Jan. It's the two <laughs> Jan Yeah, yeah It I gets confusing
2: them. after a while.
3: Yeah. Well, originally, the Rifkins lived in Rockland County, just north of New York City. But just after Joel turned five, his father, an architect, got a new job, which necessitated a move to East Meadow outside of Hempstead on Long Island. Yes, baby!
1: Long Island's a fine place! (laughs) Oh, yeah, dude! Franklin Square, dude!
2: I love Franklin Square.
3: But this, Joel claimed, was the moment that his life fell apart. Where in Rockland he had friends in a beautiful wooded area for exploration, and it is beautiful up there. Long Island was a land of cruel bullies and unfair treatment. And Wait a you, second.
2: Okay, he was fucking five years old. This is what we are going to talk five, about. This. What four four-year-old is like? I got the gang with it, me. It, Four-year-olds <laughs> don't give a shit.
1: He is such a little bitch that he talks about. It. He was like, "Those were the good days back before <laughs> I could think." You were four and a half years old before I could experience anything. That's when things were nice. Oh, my yeah. God. Man, as soon as I had all these things like society and, you were and other people and anything <laughs> but my parents, that's when things were bad.
3: Oh, yeah. poor you. I mean, yeah, basically when Joel's life wasn't absolutely perfect in every single way, he would bring it back again and again in his interviews as one of the many reasons why he became a serial killer. And he used everything and everyone except himself as an excuse for his actions.
1: I, I And this is not an exaggeration. Every single inconvenience truly just an inconvenience that he had growing up right. he has labeled as another reason why he's a serial killer yeah. every there's no he he's just he's just such a wormy little fuck that like he could have done anything in his life he could have done anything
2: to <laughs> steal another seinfeld quote fragili
3: for that's <laughs> That's from a Christmas story. Fantastic. That's from a
1: Christmas story. Um, Christmas story about nothing. Uh, And also,
3: also you didn't say it right. uh, I think it's fragile. Fragile. Fragile.
1: Fragile? Oh, it must be Italian.
3: (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> well for example <laughs>
1: that's egregious no that an was egregious a, mistake
3: egregious <laughs> well for an example of a mountain being made out of a molehill when joel arrived in long island he missed the cutoff for kindergarten uh, so by the time he began school he was a year older than everyone else which is uh, somehow a tragedy from which there was no return i no, was you set just back. Him on your
1: head no i was set up and set back by conspiratorial powers beyond my control. No, it's just paperwork, man. We just <laughs> didn't get it on time. I have been gamed since
2: day one. Also, to my, fail. my mother didn't put me into kindergarten until I was like seven because she just wanted to hang out. Yeah, and she breastfed <laughs> you until you were like 15. No, that's untrue. That's a non truth. <laughs> See, I told the truth, and then you told a non truth. You fighting so hard. <laughs> that it sounds like it's true.
1: The, the harder you fight, the, the more true it sounds. It just
2: doesn't matter. <laughs> I got to skip fifth grade because of it. Breastfeeding? No, because I went to kindergarten late.
3: <laughs> oh. But was it but was that did that take into account all of the uh, times your mother took you out of school because she thought the apocalypse was coming? Great thing about Catholic school is you pay to go.
2: Yeah, so, just so like, they're just right. like, I mean, literally, I was just be like, Mom, you fucking pay these people. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't
3: matter. <laughs> now, to be fair, Joel was bullied from the time he moved to Long Island until he graduated high school. And considering some of the interactions I've had with certain strong islanders over the last 15 or so years I've lived in this area, I'd imagine it was particularly cruel. No, oh, but they can be. At
2: some point, you wake up. And you say today's the day and then you confront the bully and then you become part of the bully blob and then it goes down <laughs> as you
1: were trying to talk about it, it goes downhill but he, did, he didn't do it that's part of that's part of maturing every once in a while the bully group is correct yeah. and this is and it's very rare it's truly it's,
2: it's, very, it's rare.
3: very rare I mean that's you still shouldn't bully the weird kid no matter how annoying he may be you of should of no, because you, you know you, why
1: because sometimes you can turn around and fucking kill everybody. Absolutely. So you really need to actually these days you kind of have to well, be like, "Hey, how you doing, weirdo?" I mean, like you can still call him weirdo. You can be like, "Hey, you're fucking weird, right? You want a soda?" Yeah. Hey, you know, let's go. Let's uh, let's drive him once around in our cool car so we can feel like choose a song, weirdo. Yay, Oh, it's your day. Good. I won't learn your name. I don't want to know your name.
2: No yeah. name's Weirdo Sullivan. So they named you weirdo. I thought you knew. All
1: right, we're just, uh, we're gonna drop you off here. Have a good one. Uh, not so. Oh, <laughs> I'm man. gonna give you five stars on Yelp. Fantastic.
3: <laughs> but conversely, being bullied doesn't justify murder, or really any negative behavior that comes as a result of the trauma that all three of us still bitterly harbor. Mm. Now, Joel believed that because he was immediately targeted by the class bully, he became a target for all bullies from then on. Because according to him, if you wanted to establish your reputation as a tough guy, your first step was to go beat up little Joey Rifkin, almost as if he was the Glass Joe of his elementary school.
1: Now you can't beat me. uh. Come on, you can't beat me. uh. That's just
3: round one on Mike Tyson's
2: punch out. I actually disagree with the bullies here. You got to go one step up. You can't just pick on the little guy all the time.
1: Joel Rifkin is incorrect. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think that he just viewed the. He immediately decided this. Woe is me. I'm at the bottom of the pack, and you all put me here. Well, I think Bye. the
2: optimal word is he decided, didn't he? Yeah, that, exactly. That's why. Oh, I yeah. said. you know what? Oh, this guy would have loved Jordan Peterson.
1: <laughs> he would have. <laughs> uh, uh, I think he would have been Jordan Peterson's assistant. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all I do is eat red meat. Don't yeah, I yeah, do? You look like a fucking ghoul. <laughs>
3: Well, Joel also believed that his intense feelings of inadequacy came because he failed his adopted father in his athletic abilities. See, Joel's father was a former collegiate football player, but Joel said that when he was a kid, he had as much of a chance of catching the ball with his face as he did his hands. <laughs> and
0: again, Who cares?
1: I was not athletic either. It doesn't matter. My father watched me. With my mother's dress around my head, on the treadmill, <laughs> singing the Phantom songs. And yeah, sure, he was disappointed. That's kind of athletic, though. But, you know, he he didn't see it quite like that. But my father wasn't athletic either, so right. it yeah. wasn't a lot of pressure. It was just more just like, I guess he fucking reads. Yeah. Like it was yeah. more of that vibe, you know, I guess as what he does.
3: Yeah, I mean, I could see Joel Rifkin's adopted father trying to throw the football to his son and his son's just not getting it. And just his his father just sits there with his hands on his hips, looking at the ground, shaking his head, just saying, Jesus
0: fucking Christ. Everyone has their thing,
2: though. I know someone in my personal family. My grandfather did not want any of his kids to play sports because he hated football because he thought it was too dangerous. And then so that was a whole thing where he's like, I wasn't allowed to play sports. It's like I was forced to play sports. There's no right answer here. Uh,
1: Do not kill 17 women. That's the right answer. (laughs) Uh, But again, he's his father. Joel's adopted father was kind of like he was a man's man, but not. He was the opposite of John Wayne Gacy's father where he uh, he didn't like zero in on his problems like he didn't start to like attack his own son the way John Wayne Gacy's father did but he definitely he just didn't know what to do with him like he's frustrated looked he was deeply deeply frustrated and you know he was a pillar of his community he made a lot of money he was successful Mm. college educated like he he was respected amongst the community and then your son's Joel Rifkin yeah. And right. it's just that. Like it's not like it's not like he became Joel Rifkin. He didn't become the character of Joel Rifkin. It's like J- Joel Rifkin. It's like he flopped out the pussy Joel Rifkin and then yeah. that's your son. Yeah. Yours your
3: sign. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like the, the, the his dad would try to show him how to do math problems. The kid couldn't get it. Like, I, he didn't just get, I be, used
2: to openly he, weep I during the math I problems. And bad. now,
3: you know what, I have this little fucking machine
2: right here in my hand that can do all the math problems for me. Teacher that lied to me. I had a teacher who taught mm-hmm. typewriting class saying computers were going to go out of style. Bitch, you
1: lied to me. <laughs> triggered. <laughs> I am triggered. <laughs> Deeply triggered. But yes, I do remember when a, a high school teacher did tell me, well, it's not like you're going to walk around every day with a calculator and you pocket yeah it is yeah mm-hmm. it is
3: mm-hmm.
2: oh, i'm gonna go kill seven yeah, You years but no.
3: well, whenever joel would try to play sports with the other kids and this is according to joel's mother the other kids wouldn't let him join in so joel would retreat upstairs and watch them from his window where he became isolated and weird
1: and i don't want the world to see me. <laughs> yes, guys don't think that they understand
2: you know Rudolph became the leader at some point. When
1: everything's
0: been broken.
1: <laughs>
0: how many it's people? Horrible!
1: What happened to him? It's, it's horrible ho- <laughs> the way they taught him. Again, this is how you know this crime happened in Long Island because it's
3: it's horrible. <laughs> goo, goo doll indeed. Wasn't that the song that you would sing to yourself when the girls yes. didn't talk to you, Henry? <laughs> yeah. but I didn't,
1: I didn't understand you know that song one. I, would sing? But they, I didn't, they didn't understand that one day they would see my value. Clearly, you I know.
0: remember
3: picking on the boy. Oh, yeah, little <laughs> yeah, oh, fuck. Well, Joel's childhood nickname was Turtle uh, oh, that's because not bad. he was he, well. He was always I a tried. little slow when it came to everything.
2: Yeah, but Turtle is the. That's so. That's not bad yeah it is it's, not bad
3: no. it's not bad at all with no. Joel, even though he did have a supposedly high iq about the only things that made sense were horticulture and photography They were both things that he learned from his mother fantastic those are two very interesting intricate things mm. yeah that being said even in childhood Joel claimed to have frequent violent fantasies By the time he reached junior high, his most frequent fantasy was a reenactment of a scene from Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy. In that particular scene, a woman is strangled with a necktie after she refuses the advances of a man. And Joel said that he felt a particular joy in watching the look of fear and desperation in the eyes of the victim as the killer finished the job. I think that his fantasy
1: life began very, very Mm. early. Yeah. Uh, And he, like... This comes up several times in his interviews. Like, he talks about Frenzy still. Yeah. And it it left an indelible mark, and he never stopped, and, and it just ramped up immediately as soon as he started thinking like this.
3: Yeah.
2: But he just didn't separate, like, the fact that that's a movie and not real
3: life. No. I think it's just that his fantasy, you know, they say that these these fantasies don't, Uh, aren't created by movies or video games or TV shows or anything like that. It's just that when seeing it on screen, it solidified the fantasies that he already had. He was already having these fantasies. He's already thinking about it. It's just now he kind of has a go-to, you know, it's like how you can always picture people in your head having sex, but you know, it's always better to just watch pornography.
1: Yeah, it can be. And then Tiger Woods, Mm -hmm. he didn't know he was going to be a star golfer until his father taped that putter into his hands yeah mm-hmm. and then he saw oh <laughs> yeah i'm a star golfer
3: tiger dad yeah now it could very well be that having constant violent fantasies rolling around in his head might have made joel rifkin a weird hang mm. because people can sometimes pick up on shit like that but even outside of joel's inner world he made decisions in high school that must have been like fucking catnip to his Long Island bullies.
1: The thing, it's, it just gets to a point. Like, are you doing these things on purpose? Like, yeah. Is it just about getting any attention that you can get? Yeah, That is
3: something that was said about Joel um, many times, that he was all about getting attention. Didn't matter if it was negative attention or positive attention. It's just all about attention at yeah, all that's times. all i
2: used to do that's why i shorted out the entire computer lab with a uh with one of those uh, little paper clips. yeah but that's fun that's pranks it was pranks but people were working on their homework and then they were Wait, like Edward. i lost all my homework yeah, and you i was find like why are you matter. doing homework and it really aggravated a lot of people but then I, it was a split 50 50 down the line a lot of people laughed and then the people who were really trying to work hard at school were not happy
1: it's weird it seems to be almost a mirror of his professional life
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey man whatever
3: Oh, <gasps> well, when Joel's backpack fell apart when he was in high school, he became the kid who brought a suitcase to school. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's not that bad either. It's just <sighs> it's Long Island. It's hard to describe. I you actually
2: just, think in Long Island it fits in more than it would in Wisconsin. Well, no,
1: you honestly don't truly don't understand there. It's very like it was a, a, there's something about an eastern co-school there's something about that time period too where like because my bullies were like that too it's just any single thing that set you off socially in any way shape or form that allowed you to like stand Mm. out at all they would just hammer you for it and he knew that you knew the rules at some point you knew to not show up with your you know like with your fun new stupid nerd thing because then you just get the shit beat out of
2: you yeah it's just still it's not that bad it's not that weird
3: It's I mean, also with the bully thing, like in the long, it's like a hyper masculinity thing. It's like everyone's trying to one up themselves, one up each other as far as who can be the most masculine, who can be the biggest asshole, who can be the fucking strongest dog.
2: I don't know what's not masculine about a
3: briefcase, but that's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Well, Rifkin then tried taking up violin, which also got him bullied.
1: Now you're going to get bullied. Well, I was told I was was too fat to play the violin. Wait, what? Yeah. And a music teacher said, he'd be like, you're too fat. Little neck fat it spreads all over the the frets.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and look
1: at you now. You haven't killed anybody that I've we never, know of. I've never won such an instrument ever ever since. Well, that's uh, fantastic.
3: And when Joel ill-advisedly ran for student body president, he lamented that he only got 20 votes. But that that's in my great. opinion, that ain't bad at all for the school abuse unit. It really ain't bad. No. It is not. He had twenty people say yes. We yeah. want
1: you to be our leader, Joel Rifkin. Those were joke votes, though.
0: Who gives a shit? That's what
1: happened with Trump. I know, but that's a problem. It is the problem.
3: (laughs) Well, from there, Joel tried joining the track team, thinking that joining would automatically give him a sort of gang that might protect him. Instead, the track team started bullying him, mm -hmm. giving him swirlies. Yeah, Yeah, they gave him swirlies. They'd stuff things in his mouth. They stuffed underwear in his mouth. They stuffed a dead chicken in his mouth once. Yeah, yeah. All right,
2: yeah. it's not, you know I had the dime drill. I did some more, but the truth I got is, some is that horrible it was also treatment yeah, as the well. trophy.
3: Yeah, but it was also just because he was bad at running.
2: Well, that's. Th- kind of what I was wondering because he doesn't seem very tall. He doesn't seem like a marathoner.
3: No, well, that's the thing. The track team, you can always throw a kid on like the 800 or the mile and it's going to take him a really long time to run the mile and then he's going to, he, if he finishes, he gets the pity claps at the end. That's just great. Like the last no, those are also claps. You guys aren't uh,
2: understanding. Those are real claps. Those are real votes. Nah, you're those, are, those are real reactions. <laughs> you're, soliciting, you're soliciting real human reactions.
1: Well, a part of it is he, he knows that he's deeply unpopular. Yeah. So the fact that he would go and then run for president on the troll ticket, like literally that's what he did. So he's leaning Vote for in. for Joel. He's the troll. That's great. But again, he wasn't as good as that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: No. Now eventually, Joel did manage to get a girlfriend. And in fact, Joel never seemed to have a problem getting a girlfriend, no matter how weird he got. But when the track team found out about Joel's new relationship, they did their best to ruin it. See, Joel had a job at the library. And one day, when the track team knew his, that his girlfriend was meeting him at work, they waited for him outside with eggs and cans of shaving cream.
1: Now, this is so New York. That is so <laughs> specifically New York, because I had that happen to me multiple times, where they would threaten. They'd freeze the eggs, right? So they'd be on oh, rocks. That's actually better. they they'd go hang out there. It was rough. But they would, you know, again, unfortunately, you got to walk out and take it. That's yeah. kind of how the, that's what the game is. You got to walk out and Che Guevara that shit.
0: You or you really got to take it in
1: the face.
3: You really do. When Joel exited the building, they pelted him with eggs and covered him in cream. And his new girlfriend just sat back and laughed. Which I mean, was the quite end humorous. of that particular romance. But it's the definition
2: a... of comedy, having somebody smash an egg on your head. Yeah. It's, a, it's a social media meme now.
1: But at this point, she she was already in on the game. And then he called his father to come pick him up. Yeah. That's also, that is, what else are you going to do? It's just.
3: It didn't help him. Well, that's the thing is that that's Molodinich told it two different ways. In one yeah. way, the they get he got covered in eggs and cream, and you know, and that was that. And then the other version, his he father just, came he just didn't, and scooped him. He didn't him. walk like he just wait. He just looked and saw that they were waiting for him, and so he called up his dad, and and he came and picked him up. Oh yeah, I bet and you the latter
2: happened. I could already, I can see the latter happening.
3: I yeah. can see him just staying inside.
1: And that's what I would until do. His father came and picked him up, but then your father. Oh Jesus Christ! He's gotta walk through the line of kids with the eggs and shaving cream. He's like, "You guys gonna uh, you gonna shave and cream and egg my son?" (laughs) That's kind of funny. Let me go
3: get him.
2: His father could have stood up for him a little bit there. Oh,
1: he
3: did multiple times. Yeah, no, he really did. No, they they had to go and like they would actually. His mother would go. He would go like and talk to other parents and talk to other kids and say like, "Just fucking give him a break. Come on, man, give him a fucking break." No one ever would. a group mm. of kids
1: did the thing that they did to me where they pulled his pants down and laughed at his penis. And then he, but the father, then he went to the, he was going to go tell the school, but right. then Joel's father was like, I'll handle it. And went to go talk to all the parents' kids. Cause he's also was like a big man. Right. So he'd like threaten them.
2: And-, and then Joel went to all, he went to all the kids and he pulled out all of their pants and he looked at their penises and then he did have to serve some time. But, um, <laughs> but the message, the message was given though.
3: Yeah. 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 Well, the final straw when it came to the track team was when Joel admitted during a game of truth or dare that he liked a particular girl. He did. Yeah, you don't never do that. Don't give him nothing.
1: Don't give him anything. <laughs> he did. No. The thing is, no. Yes, he did. <laughs> no, because he was because actively the, being tortured by them. But they he were was. Already he must have
2: been excited to be part of the game.
3: He well. that's the thing is that you at, at one point like you have to drop out. That's what I real like. I realized around like sixth seventh grade like that's when i realized with my like when my friends turned into bullies after about a year or two yeah. of that i realized like i just got to drop out man i got to not have any friends i got to be a fucking loner <laughs> like i just gotta, well, like i just i got to drop out i got to not give him anything i got to avoid them like it's that's just you got to drop out completely you're sure.
1: talking about you've turned that into serial killer training school which is what Milanovic says it was that he spent so long Figuring out how to evade all the bullies, he became invisible. He trained his his every single moment of his life. He knew when someone was coming. He could hear the footsteps. He knew how to avoid it, and oh, slipping the
0: cracks. Officer
2: Officer bitch. Um, is uh, is it possible you just weren't looking for him because you didn't care about sex workers? Invisible. Invisible. Okay, I'm just, (laughs) just wondering.
3: Yeah, it certainly did—this whole, like, invisible thing certainly didn't help him from getting scammed by sex workers for fucking years upon years upon years. He no, did it on he was purpose, too.
1: We'll get into that, because he, he did that on purpose as well.
3: Well, after Joel admitted to liking a particular girl— he was shoved into the girl's locker room and got pinned against the wall by a shot putter while another kid wrote Joel's name and unspecified sexual phrases on the girl's locker.
1: Like
2: butt, what the word? ass. What if she was like, "Oh my god, Joel does love me?"
1: No, but he had to go and find his she cuz she didn't know that he had a crush on her. So then he went into the yellow pages, found her number, preemptively called her told her hey i have a crush on you and these men they went over there and they wrote butt and ass on your locker and you and the whole time she's like why are you calling me who are you first yeah. of all like i barely know you in the hallways like how'd you get my number and then now Four she's bucks. creeped out now she's bullying him oh. because she's oh, just oh, like uh, you just need to just not loop me in
3: yeah oh. And after that incident, Joel did fight back just a little bit by pushing a boy into a locker and threatening further violence. Just a tiny little bit. Here we go. But even though nothing further happened in reality... Joel's violent fantasies were only getting stronger and more elaborate, as they often do with serial killers during late adolescence, which is why you should always talk about it before it gets out of hand.
1: Just tell somebody, even if they, yeah, even this, if it gets you into a square for a while, Like, just tell somebody and get it out of the way. Well, hopefully it yeah.
3: doesn't get you
2: into a square there. I, he, this is the definition of like, I'm going to kill you, all. I'm going to kill every one
1: of you motherfuckers. What was that, Joel? I mean, I do that all day, but no, I do I, that in the comfort <laughs> of my home. Yeah, well, absolutely.
3: Well, Rifkin would fantasize about making sex slaves out of women, all while he threw darts at their bodies or shot them full of arrows. He had a piercing fetish. Huh. In other fantasies, he'd make women fight each other to the death. The way he talked
1: about it, though, he's like, because Milatovic, he's like, So in your fantasies, there's women, and they always fight to the death. And he's just like, <laughs> No, you know, sometimes they'd fight to, it was like a competition, you know, one pin the other. They're like, It was something like that. They wouldn't always kill each other, but sometimes they would. Like, just the way he... <laughs> it just sounds like the uh,
2: early 90s UFC fights they used to have. Yes. Although, I don't think women were fighting at that point, but now they are, and they'll kick your fucking yes, ass. Yes, they will. Yeah.
3: Strangely, though, Joel said that no one ever screamed in his fantasies, even when they involved the student-athletes that made his life a living hell. Instead, his imagined victims would always take the punishment passively, which... I think further establishes the fact that Joel saw other people as nothing more than objects.
1: Absolutely, he could not. He t- can't see a personality in three D. Yeah, mm, interesting.
3: Now, after graduating high school, Joel decided that he didn't want to go to college as a virgin.
1: Yeah, he's s- this weird, like, a- like Animal House version of. But that's not. Uh, I mean, that's sexuality. But that was
2: fairly common. I mean, I think that's still a very common trope. I suppose so I guess
3: but it's like he believes he lives in Porky's but not really like it's a bizarre version another Mm -hmm. part of his wrestling fantasy was he's like because my problem was is that you know
1: uh, this is true this is from his interview he's like My parents didn't really explain to me how the birds and the bees work. So, like, you'd say that they were like fucking each other to death. My problem was is that I couldn't like, I didn't know how sex worked. So mostly, I just kind of imagined them rubbing each other and and, like, and just kind of figuring out like, because I thought Mm. that you peed inside the woman.
2: Oh, actually, Mm -hmm. there was a kid in sixth grade that asked that that asked that question during sex ed. They probably and then of course, obviously, was that the answer was no. (laughs)
1: Yeah, <laughs> unless you're really trying
2: to have it, unless you're trying to have a real wild time there. But that's not how you get someone pregnant.
1: No, that's how you have a Jared Kushner.
2: So you're expecting his parents to, well, just before they have sex with each other, be like, Joel, come in here.
0: <laughs> now this look at you uh, now.
1: You know your father's a very important here? man. Your father's actually a very well-established man in the neighborhood. So that's why I feel I'm the most qualified yes. to show you how to fuck your mother. And
2: so you see here, my legs, my legs are like this. Joel, like this Joel. What
1: we do is, is that I get on my back and stick up my legs and I get super hard. Your mother, she inserts my (laughs) penis in her vagina, but she then backs her her hips behind my ass. So it's kind of like she's fucking me. Get it? Get it. Fantastic.
3: Well, since he had little chance of going about it in the conventional way, Joel began his lifelong habit of visiting sex workers picked up off the street at 20 to 30 bucks a pop. Now, at first, Joel's pickups were relatively harmless and that he participated in a transaction of sex for money that any two consenting adults should be allowed to participate in. But eventually, Joel became addicted to sex Mm. workers to the point where it was akin to an obsessive hobby that took up to four hours each night when he went to troll the streets of sometimes Brooklyn and Queens, but mostly Manhattan.
1: He uh, is a a lot of time. The way he posited it was that he said that he was addicted to the night and that, that's how we of this is the, that is what he said he's like there's something about the movements you got the headlights and it's squish 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 that's when there's things on the ground and you're walking sure. and then you hear the tingle 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 it's the rain and then and the, it's nighttime yeah nighttime and it's so dark and you're just like why am i wearing sunglasses you know i can't even see anything but well your the future's time. not very bright <laughs> no. <laughs> you're a funny guy thank you
3: well when joel went out he would pick up a woman interview her, then decide whether or not he wanted to go forth with the transaction. This, according to Joel, was standard practice in the street sex work game, which sounds much more complicated in reality than the quick pick-up, drop-off scenario that we've come to think of it as.
1: Well, he, he, would, oh, well, he would also like, he get involved with their lives, like, yeah. which is true, Like, which is probably g- good and bad, because he would insinuate himself in their lives and then Kind of like, like you really did show up. All the time huh. and became a known quantity in various. I guess you, I don't know if we even use the term red light districts. I don't even think that's how you do, like what the term was. I'm so well, poisoned is- by true crime documentaries this week because it's all just like, and he decided to go down to the hooker realm. Like,
0: if you, I heard
1: the word hooker so many times in the last week. If I took a shot for every time I heard the word, I'd be dead.
2: So he's yeah. like downtown Manhattan before it was all Disney fied and all that stuff.
3: Well, I mean, he's the East Village is uh, a big uh, pickup point for him, like Allen Street near the bottom of the Williamsburg Bridge, like Lower East Side. He's going to Atlantic Avenue uh, in Brooklyn, which, you know probably around like the Crown Heights area oh, yeah. uh, and he probably went to Long Island City fairly often because Long Island City used to be like a big big pickup point uh, for uh, yeah. street sex workers I think rather right. the the bridge there um, but yeah he knows all the spots but a lot of a lot of it is Lower East Side and East Village
1: but he is a template it's so weird It is to the, the to the fucking minute almost between Gary Ridgeway and Robert Picton. They, they are very yeah. very similar
2: was Kuklinski yeah. working at the same time in that area? Or no, well, Kuklinski before... was more like Graham
3: Avenue, right? In Brooklyn? Well, I thought he in killed that, and then he then kill Jersey. that random
2: person in the Lower
3: East Side. He did. It, he no, did. that was near Battery Park. That was on the West Side. Oh, okay.
1: But yeah and then yeah he was in Jersey and Pennsylvania. Either way there was a lot of going a lot going on. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No there's a, I mean that's the thing about uh, what I said at the, the very beginning of the episode he's got he's got the most kills of anyone that we know of. You know cuz what we do know we've talked about it like many times in the past brought it up many times in the past is that you know in the 90s in South Central LA they think that there were no less than 5 serial killers operating at the same time. There's and no none way. of them and none of them were ever caught. And so with 2000 murders oh, yeah. in New York there's City no-
1: way there's not multiple serial killers operating in the area at the same right. time.
3: No. And that's just 2,000 murders because remember a lot of Rifkin's uh victims were never identified and they never would have been counted had Rifkin not led police to the bodies or had he not just said like yeah I dumped her in the river who knows where the fuck she is now.
2: Yeah. Like that Richard Marx song I swear, Sunglasses I the at the night? No a- I swear I left her by the river. It's-
3: I
1: swear I left
2: you by the real. I hate the and songs I'm that proud knows. of That ragged old flag. All the songs that Kissel
1: knows are all about
2: death. No, they're it not. It's
1: death and and the flag and the flag. Right? Oh, flag. little toes. Little toes.
0: Little toes. That's it. That's all. Big old, butt. old <laughs> butt.
2: I actually forgot that. I forgot the lyrics of that one. He didn't
1: even remember <laughs> that one bit. He did.
2: Well, big old butt. And little toes.
3: <laughs> when sex work. Was brought down to its most basic function. Joel said that it's like an assembly line where the deed could be done within two or three minutes once he decided on a girl. Jeez. For him, this transaction was the perfect situation considering how awkward he was in conventional social situations.
1: That must have been two to even, three aw- minutes. But that must have been even been awkward for the sex worker. Like, yeah. literally, like, you, like could make a hot
2: fa- you could make a hot <laughs> pocket faster. He
1: literally would just he'd get or him slower. in the car. Like, he'd get him in the car and then just open up his pants and come immediately. All <laughs> <be> like, <laughs> right, mate. All right, right. <laughs> wow.
3: But that was once he's decided on a girl because he would talk to him for a long time. He would interview them. Sometimes he'd hang out with them all day long. Oh, but, you know, my
1: goodness.
2: This
3: he is, liked this is, you it, know when He it, liked you know, him.
1: I get it, though. I get the idea of liking. I understand that, that no, life. that's fine. He he viewed himself, What he said he was lost to the city, that he would throw himself onto the mercy of the streets, quote unquote, like that was his thing, where he'd go out there and see what would happen and he'd mix it up because he went from, we'll talk about how little his life was in his mm-hmm. quote unquote normal life, there he was a known quantity. It just
2: feels like it's the Kentucky Derby with this guy. It's all talk, all talk, and then the fucking race is 90 seconds. <laughs> I mean you actually sound, You
1: sound like an old woman at the bar Like you just sound, <laughs> If I got talk nurse, to you if if It's, talking, it, oh my God, the it's horny- all talking, all talking and dude, and These milfs and out there out are the horniest
2: women You'll ever meet in your <laughs> life way. and I'll tell you one thing If you talk to them for two hours they're expecting four hours Of hardcore banging
1: <laughs>
2: Swear to these are not They're two and a half minutes They'll kill know. your ass
3: <laughs> uh. I don't know But I mean the more that Joel Rifkin looked at sex work As an assembly line the less he looked at sex workers as actual human beings. Mm. And over the course of many years, they became, in essence, disposable objects in every way. It's like how some people treat wait staff like shit because they don't see them as people. Well, for, right. for
1: him, it was the expression of an urge. And it was never about them. It was all about him just like the naughtiness of doing the transaction. But once that began to grow stale, he had to amp up.
3: Mm. Yeah. Now, after high school, Joel attended SUNY Brockport, nicknamed SUNY Jockport because it produced a high number of physical education degrees. Well, that's Which, going to be a
2: great place for him.
3: Yeah. It's the worst fucking choice he could make, considering it's, his history of uh, getting bullied by the more athletic kids. The yeah, worst fucking sur- choice. He needed to, go to
1: by gym teachers.
3: Yeah. He needed to go to Pratt.
2: I think we can all agree. <laughs> he needed to go.
3: To well, Ben, you might be interested to know that SUNY Brockport was actually the alma mater of both Bill and Jeff Van Gundy.
2: Oh, I love Jeff Van Gundy. That is fantastic. Of course, one of the greatest coaches the Knicks ever had. He's no Pat Riley, but certainly a Pat Riley acolyte. And he did try to take down Alonzo Mourning, but he did lose. No, no Nobody cares.
0: <laughs> Jeff Van Gundy, one of the, the greatest
3: commentators
1: in the NBA.
2: See, no, I, I, brought it up. Up. I, I you care did. because that's Thank why you. I
3: brought it up. I wanted to give him that.
1: How do you reach these Keats? These Keats. <laughs> and you look at him and you were like, "This." Is, I actually felt like I was Kissel's elementary school teacher or somewhere. You drew two circles on the board. and He's like, Circles are kinda like boobies. You like Like boobies. (laughs) You're right. Benjamin, you've made a you've made a connection.
3: Absolutely.
2: You know I did. Mm. Yeah. Jeff Van Gunny, fantastic.
3: And that's how we teach him geometry.
2: (laughs) Yes indeed. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> but even when Joel managed to somehow attract a live-in girlfriend during his early college years, he still visited sex workers as often as he could and spent money he didn't have to feed his addiction. As he put it, he'd get paid on Friday, and by Monday, he'd be asking to borrow money for gas.
2: Oh, I see. He didn't unfurl an IOU, be like, that's as good as money. That's
3: as good as money. <laughs> no, he he just was, he was
1: addicted to this. And I see a lot of this in the series I watch on YouTube, Soft White Underbelly. Like, yeah. there was a lot of that. There was this idea of, like, whatever money you have, you spend it fucking immediately on all it's of your vices and you blow it out until you have nothing. That gives me so yeah. much anxiety just thinking about it. Very scary.
3: In a specific example, Joel and his girlfriend got into a fight because Joel spent sixteen dollars on an old photo of Teddy Roosevelt at an antiques expo. Oh,
0: and that's kind girl- of a cool photo. Yeah, it's,
3: it's a very cool photo. Yeah, and his girlfriend <laughs> flipped out because they were having a hard time even making rent. If you can't make rent, you don't have the disposable income for old photos of fucking Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just <don't. But laughs> you
1: just don't. You just don't. It's, it's like not a, in the budget this
2: month. Yeah. Almost like a hundred dollars yeah. for that time period. Yeah, it's a little much. It's,
3: it's a, little a bit much. much, but yeah, around fifty bucks. Yeah. What his girlfriend didn't know, though, was that they weren't able to make rent because Joel was spending all his money on cum. And he'd spent 50 bucks just the week before on girls. And about this, Joel later remarked, quote, If she knew I blew 50 when she's a banshee about $16, you know.
2: Whoa. Well, I don't think it would be about the money then, Joel. I think it would be all the women you're having sex with that aren't your girlfriend. And you might need, be, unless you guys have a, a relationship deal. I knew a
1: big, ugly man yeah. flapping his gums. Uh-huh. And I don't see a man who's not like me. An Avenger of the Night. <laughs> okay. I'm in the night. I'm on the curb. It's just, I go to the bodega. Oh, look, it's just the water night. There.
2: But you have nothing to do with it. It's just oh. the night. You happen to be out in the night.
1: During the day, it's blue, sure. But if at night, it's black.
2: I don't. It doesn't make you any cooler. But Hong Kong.
1: Okay. That was a car That's a car Make a car sound.
3: Hong Kong. No,
1: no, you don't. That's that's my noise now. No. I am of the night.
2: No.
3: Hong Kong. You don't take my Hong Kong that tells him that, that really does tell you a lot about him though is that yeah. it doesn't register that his girlfriend would be more upset about him having sex with other women all it registers is she yelled at me about buying this stupid photo so she would be more mad about me spending money than she I'm would just, be about you know having you know sex without a condom
2: i'm actually a little bit surprised he didn't blow his cover but be like oh 16 for this you should see how much money i spent on these women you'd be really upset like cuz he didn't seem to know that
1: she would be mad about that? because he's invisible. <laughs> okay. And he can he, do this without... His mustache is not invisible. But mm. the truth is, is that he was separating his life. Mm. Th- that yeah. was a different dude to him. Like, yeah. that's how he does... Like, you see this from now on. Like, that was all being done by somebody else. That okay. he was sort of, like, watching from afar and away. Right, right, yeah.
3: But because Joel was visiting sex workers picked up from the street and having unsafe sex so often, he started developing a wide array of sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> Eventually, he had dime and nickel sized lesions on the back of his throat which caused oh, drooling and a 104 degree temperature. This, as I know from experience, is what happens when you first contract oral herpes. Woohoo! And it Yay! is indeed highly unpleasant when you first get it. But even after catching this embarrassing yet relatively harmless disease, I got a cold sore right now. And with and full well, fucking disclosure. Fantastic. Thank you're you. So, you're thank so brave you. about it. You're thank so you. I'm very brave about it. I got a cold sore. I've got acne for the first time in 20 years and I don't know why I do not look healthy. I all. would say, oh, you know what you are? You're a herpes American.
1: Absolutely.
3: <laughs> and I want to say thank you. Welcome. Absolutely yeah. Welcome. But even after this whole fucking debacle, Joel never slowed down his habit.
1: Well, it's because he acted like it was no fucking big deal. Like when yeah. he got it, like he was like, yeah, I got this fucking thing wrong with my mouth. I'm like, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm having a bunch of unprotected sex with a bunch of uh, sex workers that are filled with heroin. But I don't understand what I'm getting. I'm like sick. Yeah. <laughs> like he couldn't. A
2: bonus, I guess.
1: He didn't understand.
3: Yeah. Now when Joel went to college, he joined the journalism program and became a fairly talented photographer. Remember, he okay. learned photography from his mother. There he met another journalism student named Robert Mladenich who is the author of today's main source. Oh. See, Mladnich was writing an article for a magazine called Hank Kaplan's Worldwide Box and Digest. I'm Hank <laughs> Kaplan.
0: I and if
2: there's it. somebody punching uh, somebody's uh, face in any way in Long <laughs> Island, we are covering
1: it. I love it. <laughs> Honestly. Get their scoop. I heard, I heard a punch outside. <laughs> I heard a punch, <laughs>
2: dude. That is a great magazine right there. Oh yeah,
3: man. And this and the article was about an undefeated junior middleweight boxer named Rocky Frado.
1: He's gonna be Whoa. the number one junior middleweight. <laughs> From Long Island to Jersey City champion Woo! this magazine is ever covered.
3: I
2: can't <laughs> wait to read the article.
3: Well, they go along with his words. Mladenich tapped Joel Rifkin to take photos. They're both a part of the SUNY Brockport journalism program. So, yeah, why not? Okay. And apparently they hit it off. Like Mladenich was like, no, he's a good guy because they were both from Long Island uh, and they were both kind of loners. Now, the boxing match itself was between Rocky Frotto and a man named Steve, the fighting schoolteacher, Michael Rea. (laughs) 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 Tell me this isn't your actual profession without telling me this isn't your actual profession.
1: Can you imagine just put the fighting schoolteacher,
3: not just the schoolteacher? Yes. (laughs) By the end of the match though Frato was declared the winner Which huh. was an unpopular decision With the crowd Wow! Before long trash and chairs Were being thrown into the ring And audience members tried Climbing into the ring to beat the shit Out of both Rocky Frodo and the judges Fucking Long Island <laughs> trash That's what this is all about <laughs> ECW
2: ECW ECW <laughs>
3: Rifkin, meanwhile, tried hiding under the ring during the fracas, but oh. eventually he did poke his head out to take a few pictures of the mini riot.
2: Yeah, This is the you step back, take the pictures from the back. No one messes with the photographer. I'm press. I'm press. That'll yeah. get you out of that. You won't get killed in a war zone. I think
3: they still get killed in war zone sometimes. sometimes. Yeah, someone that journalist very recently got killed in the war zone.
2: You got to yell it.
1: That's why. (laughs) I'm press. That's why if I got into journalism, I would be in the restaurant review group. Absolutely.
3: (laughs) Well, this boxing match, Mladenich said, was among the last times he saw Joel Rifkin before Rifkin was revealed as a serial killer well over a decade later.
1: But I tell you what, in the two weeks that I knew Joel, he had become my best friend. Enough to write
2: a full book about it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. In any way, you are trying to cash in on your relationship? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. How dare you say something Susan, little, to me? I mean, if I knew someone for two weeks, How we read, I was, you? wouldn't write a book about him, but okay.
3: Well, I mean, it did his tone about his relationship with Joel Rifkin did definitely change between the book and the documentary? In the book, bu- in the book, it's like, yeah, you know, we did this thing together. And the documentary's like, my friend Joel Rifkin. My Joel friend. Rifkin was a friend of mine. And, he you was know, a friend of mine. You don't expect a friend of yours to be a fucking serial killer. You know, like you just don't expect that from a friend, just me? a friend that you just have, like friend. I have with Joel Rifkin. He's a he's friend. He's my buddy. He's like a guy you go <laughs> and do friend activities with, like a buddy.
1: All of a sudden, this buddy of mine, this friend of mine, <laughs> right? This Serial killer?
2: Only in Long Island, you're like, yeah, I didn't really like him that much, but I found out he was a serial killer. He's my friend. He's a friend of of mine. (laughs) Well,
1: I know this guy. He killed a lot of women, so I know exactly what you're going through.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, at least the guy, the other guy, well, at least the other guy in the documentary that they interviewed that lived across the street from Joel, the guy who's now in the New York ska jazz ensemble. (laughs) Oh, my (laughs) God. This is one of my favorite quotes because uh, he, he was, was just yeah, he lived across the street from Joel growing up. And man, he and he's in the documentary wearing his New York Ska Jaws ensemble T-shirt. You know, so guy, they've been, I, they've so been around since 94. They've been playing gigs in the fucking East Village forever. Like I'm going to post it. I
1: have a picture of this dude, <laughs> but he was really one of my favorite because that was he's like, this is the thing. Right. He Goes like, would you believe my ma? And this is true. She hired Joel Rifkin, right, to cut the trees. Thing is, he'd be so tired out there living the La Vida hooker or doing whatever he's doing, he'd fall asleep in the truck.
2: He would fall asleep. <laughs> what a story that is! Yeah, yeah but that's, like that's why amazing. Was,
1: that's why he was on the documentary. Yeah, I knew Joel. He was up across the street from me. He was super fucking weird. But <laughs> and then I realized, yeah, my friend is a serial killer.
2: Wow, that's crazy. That's amazing. And then you got some Scott to sing for us. I
1: hear yeah. <laughs> dead. <laughs> they're That's they're right. it's unbearable I'm scared guy. Oh, it's scattered. I do oh, the I scared didn't part of it. Right the guy floor. goes next to me I don't know how to make I don't know how to make these kind of fucking woodwind noises. And then I go next to him and I go, Right,
0: it's just such an
2: offensive form of music.
3: Jazz ska Ensemble. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> well, he also, yeah, he didn't just live across the street from me. He did So, like, yeah, one time we was in the fucking low east side and I had my fucking instrument with me. I walk and I saw Joe and he was in the fucking car and he was in there with his girl. I was like, hey, Joe, what the fuck's going on? Yo, bro. Hey, bro. Yeah, bro, bro look bro. at me. And then he like <laughs> fucking drove off because he was like kind of embarrassed. And I thought maybe like, did he fucking kill that broad? I don't well, know. But the thing is, same time uh,
1: though, I didn't want to embarrass him while he was on a date.
2: No, you, of course you don't. <laughs> you, have, you have a big concert to go. To. Yeah. Format. (laughs) I love it. You can really tap your big toe to that.
1: I can't skank anymore. My spine was fused in uh, 1997. That's for the best. That's for the best. Yeah.
3: Now, even though Joel had a hard time holding on to a job, he did get hired at one of the New York metro area's mini record world stores, which is a music chain that went bankrupt in the early 90s. Interestingly, Mladenich pointed out in his book that while Joel Rifkin was completely calm and detached when he talked about his many murders, he became, quote, downright unstable and overwhelmed when it came to talking about his stint at Record World. Dude, he could not handle retail. What? Yeah.
2: He was sad when it, when it,
3: what happened? Retail's tough. Retail's not good. I mean, no, mean, retail I, retail retail is tough, tough. I worked but in what retail, happened?
1: but you could live your life. He just fell apart.
3: Like We'll go through it. Now, Joel was on a management track when he was first hired, but he <laughs> never showed up on time and he had no idea how to do accounting or paperwork.
1: Well, this is where it starts to build because he's like, so I know. I was like, oh, this is a thing, All right, I got a day. I got a, a way in a record world, right? But yeah. I knew. I was like, I need some kind of career, so I got to get on a management track. I figured i get how it. How did then. you get on I'll that? I'm like, They'll love me. Look okay. at me. They love me. And it's like, so I went in there. I wanted to be an assistant manager. Okay. And then I go from that. To di- I go to main manager, then district manager. Then I go all the way up the chain, right? I'm going to do that. Yeah. But the thing was, is that unfortunately what it seems to be is I cannot write on a piece of paper. <laughs> um, I look at a form and it just sort of turns into spider webs And right. his—he had some kind of learning disability. I don't know what it was. He was but he dyslexic.
3: Said it, he was definitely dyslexic. Yeah, but
1: it was a reverse of it. It was like a, a rebirth of his high school shit. Because he's like, Uh-oh. next thing I know, it's like I can't fill out all of these end of day reports. So my main manager has to come and check it. Then the district manager's now coming, and then all of a sudden I'm doing these reports, and I got three or four guys right, and they're all they're looking over my shoulder, looking at the reports, and they're saying like, "Hey, you, know, oh, you got to work on, you got to fill out all these closing reports, right?" And, then, and you know, I started feeling like he sort of remind me of my father, and what I had to go through with my father in high school. Right.
2: Maybe a day labor job would be good for you.
3: Actually, that's what he ended up doing. Oh, fantastic! Eventually. Yeah, <laughs> he did. He he came upon that conclusion on his own. According to Joel, though, in another example of the world doing him dirty, he was. Fired from Record World after being falsely accused, or he says falsely accused, of selling a friend an armload of albums using Joel's employee discount.
0: Because then he said, because he was like.
3: That's the thing very is, nice to do, actually. The week
1: before, they tra- I tried to get another guy fired for doing the same fucking thing. And I found out this 18-year-old was a part of the Record Workers Union. This is true. Right. And he was trying to cut, sell people 15 cent albums. And I knew this wasn't real. And then they decided to call me out. But he said the well, worst part was that when he, he couldn't close... Right, he couldn't figure out how to close, and so he's building, (laughs) and he's just like, because I still remember. I remember there was a few nights I remember that were very bad feeling when they're turning off the lights inside the store. Right, and we were in the exact middle of the of the circuit board. Right, and then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there with the safe and the deposit deposit bag, and the lights are racing at you from the two sides to the point where I all of a sudden now I'm in total darkness, and I'd be sitting there with the bank deposit bag and the safe open, and I'm watching the lights race towards me. Right, and I'm throwing uh... everything in the safe, spinning it. And then I'm it's running through a- the store with the lights up because I knew I'm just late. I thought you were a-, a
2: creature of the night.
1: That's when I'm outside the store. Inside <laughs> oh, the store, it's like so the- light, and there it might as well be day. You
2: like the light? <laughs> May I just ask, when it comes to having a friend purchase records with your employee discount, why didn't you just buy the records and then give them to your friend, who so can then give you the money?
1: Because I don't know what records he wants. <laughs>
2: <sighs> Maybe you could have asked him that. <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah, there's a way around that.
1: But he he never shows a minute of emotion talking about murdering multiple women.
2: Yeah, but when it comes to. It's difficult to close up a a restaurant or a small store. It's It's not not that difficult.
0: It's not Not difficult
1: difficult at all. The Borders are a little difficult. You're a moron. In Tallahassee, the Borders was run by five 19 year olds. Five.
2: (laughs) Not just one
1: Joel Rift. There was a whole team there.
2: He had all of his managers well. having to double
1: check all of his paperwork. Yeah, the,
3: no, the only thing that's hard to close is a bar because you're drunk when you're closing. That's,
0: that's how, true. That's
3: that's how I was. That's how I got fired from the only bartending job I ever had because I was real good at talking to the people, but I was real bad at counting money at the end of the night. That's so bad fired at mixing. Too. Real bad about mixing drinks too.
2: I also didn't realize you weren't supposed to take the ones home. You're supposed to cash them out. I did a series of mistakes. But whatever. <laughs> you know, I didn't get. I didn't kill 17 women.
1: I'm glad <laughs> I hear. At least he's saying
3: it. Yep. At least he's saying it. Yeah. Well, after the record world debacle, Joel complained that be- he became physically ill and he oh. started having angina attacks. My angina.
1: My angina is spiking. And in his chest, he'd get chest pains. I mean, it's not, they need to change the name.
3: And you said angina, you said it was a Long Island thing. I always thought that angina was like a Jewish thing. Like, well, oh God, angina?
1: My, yeah, Angina's my- chest pains. Any fat guy can have angina for wherever you're at. <laughs>
2: you talking about my wife like that again, I'll kill you.
1: Yeah, anybody can have angina if you can, if you can figure out a price. Absolutely. Um, but an agita is also a thing that the fat men get. Yeah.
3: Okay. Ajina.
1: Now, what is agita again? It's like when uh, it's a really good way to explain it. Like, let's say I eat two chicken farm subs. Yeah. It's how I feel after that. With the tomato sauce and the (laughs) cheese. If I eat like a pile of food right before going to bed and I wake up literally clutching my chest with pain. I get it. So it's it's the
3: combination of what eating that much food does to your body combined with the anxiety that you get when you realize that what you're doing to your body is slowly killing you.
1: Yeah, or just the the constant buzz of terror that most people live uh, uh, life with on a day-to-day basis. Tomato sauce, onions, they might trigger angina.
3: Very much so, Mm -hmm. yes. Well, possibly due to these physical ailments, Joel spent most of the early to mid-80s unemployed. And with what little money he could earn, he spent everything on sex workers, using violent fantasies to get himself aroused, but never quite bringing those fantasies to fruition. As far as what he did with the rest of his free time, Joel wrote an autobiographical screenplay based on his time at SUNY Brockport called The Frosh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> of course he's a screenwriter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure it has shades of Richard McBeef.
1: You know, I actually I mean, kind of been at the time because Diner was coming out. There's a lot of like movies that were like of the moment. A slice I, of life. I, I view that he viewed himself as a sensitive young man that didn't understand love. And he's, you know, it's that style. I don't of, like, know. No one gets to how he's a diamond in the rough. The uh-huh. froth sounds
2: like a coffee company that has semen in all of its drinks. F-
1: <laughs> calling somebody a frosh <laughs> is something that's very a old frosh. school that I have not heard in a very long time.
3: Frosh, it's a uh, slang for freshmen. No, yeah. I know. I, I yeah. It. It was a frosh.
1: Took a week's vacation to forget. <laughs> no more. A week with the volume and
2: My third eye is going blind. <laughs>
1: It
3: was per- the verb.
2: No, now, it doesn't th- matter. They're all the fucking
1: same.
2: <laughs> 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 we, we step back from that ledge, my friend.
3: It's opposite. It's different. <laughs> now, Joel began to fancy himself a writer after completing the frosh.
0: Okay, and well, bit- he is.
3: Yeah, well, I suppose yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And eventually yeah, he be. met an older woman and sometimes sex worker named Kathleen Deaver with similar ambitions at the pizzeria in Queens where she worked. Mm. She soon ill-advisedly hired Joel to assist her on her screenplay. <laughs> and, before, <laughs> and before long, a relationship blossomed and Joel moved into Deaver's apartment on West 49th Street. Okay. However, Joel later said that they only had sex once, right after they first met. And the relationship ended after Deaver stole a camera and two grand in cash from Rifkin. Or so Joel claims. Did he
1: have two grand in cash? He did. I mean, he he would have built it all up
3: because he did intermittently work. Oh, okay. Kathleen Deaver, though, she said, and this is what she told police after Rifkin was arrested for murder, she said they had a brief business relationship and she had to fire him because he didn't do any work. This, I believe, is the more likely scenario.
1: Yeah, it's very possible because you could have been a sex worker, but we don't know. And then he was trying to like, he, he's all of his angles are all garbage. Yeah.
3: Well, and also they, if you just look at his history, he has a, a, a long, long history of saying, yeah, I'll do that. And then he doesn't do it. Yes, uh, but He's a he lazy says, fuck.
1: He said, I know. He's like, I have an undescribed mental illness. And so everybody said I was lazy and an asshole.
3: But no.
2: Well, you just then don't don't tell him you're going to do anything. Yes. That's the yeah. problem.
3: Now, around the time that Joel was screwing around, pretending to be a writer, his ever-disappointed father, Ben Rifkin, was diagnosed oh. with fatal prostate cancer. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: yes. It's very sad. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs>
3: Horrible. And so, as he was dying, he told Joel that he if he went to SUNY Farmingdale, took one class and got a B... <laughs> Ben would pay for the next semester in college Just dying on his fucking deathbed Riddled Uh, uh, with cancer And then he,
1: you know Joel's being like Hey dad don't worry I wrote a screenplay It's about my action packed one year I went to college And he's just like Listen okay um, son I'm about about to Go to hell right I don't know where the fuck I'm gonna go But if you can get a B in one class, because the whole time, a right? Is because, a
2: bee, I like that it's a B. Well, because
1: he's trying to manage expectations. And also, <laughs> he said the big problem was that it's like my other family members did come in, and my dad, when he was so thin from cancer, and he'd give him a big hug with two hands. But then I knew when he hugged me, he wouldn't use his arms at all. He'd lay back and I'd have to do all the hugging. And I know. You're
2: complaining that you had to hug your he, father who's
1: riddled with prostate cancer? He wouldn't hug me fully he enough couldn't, He couldn't, Joel. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, he my God. He wouldn't hug me. I saw him use his arms on my brothers. And then he went in on my sister. He used his arm on her. Oh, and my so God. And so I knew Joel. if I could get this bee. If I could get this bee. It's just a bee. In
2: any yeah.
3: class, and it, well, t- he took the challenge. He enrolled in a biology course. He took, well, he took too hard
2: of a. He took too hard of a class.
3: That, well, well no. oh, that's the thing. And in a case of what seems like. I would call it a spiteful suicide. Uh, at least when it comes to timing, his father took a fatal dose of barbiturates just before Joel's midterm.
0: Yeah, so he, <laughs> he was building
3: all this up.
1: He's studying and shit. Uh, according to him, he's mama. like, "I didn't want to take something easy like writing or something because, like, I want to take something that actually has a challenge. I want to take biology. I couldn't do chemistry because that's too difficult, but I can right. do biology. <laughs> and kinda... then he went to do it, and it was days before the midterms. Uh-huh. And he's like, "Oh, Daddy's gonna see. I'm gonna get. It. I'm gonna feel his <laughs> forearm this weekend." And then yeah. all of a sudden, he just fucking committed suicide or tried <laughs> to commit suicide.
3: Know. No, he didn't. He, in... he committed suicide. Yeah, I guess he yeah. went into a coma after that. But well, yeah,
0: because
1: was... that then... <laughs> yeah. then when he got a 90, the nurse was like, You know, they say some people in comas can hear. Go tell your father you got a 90 <laughs> on the class. And then Aww. he was just told, Ritzkin outside of his dying father, being like, I got it. 90, Dave. Can you? You know, just picked up the arms try to try
2: (laughs) to do the hug like a cape oh well that was very good very impressive though
3: well Rifkin claimed that the suicide ruined any chance he had at redemption he said quote and this is a direct quote if I succeeded with this
1: I would have got a hug it would have been a meaningful hug
2: so you killed seventeen women because you didn't. I get a meaningful never was hug. hugged
1: appropriately. Once I can get
2: you a hug, I can get you a dog that'll hug you. I <laughs> they get...
1: don't do it right, not like my father. This <laughs> my whole father right. thing
2: is about his father not giving him a hug after he got to be on a biology
1: while his father
2: class. is
3: dying of prostate cancer.
1: And in committing suicide, probably not even thinking about his son, probably just so riddled with cancer and pain, he just, just wanted, wanted it all end.
3: Yeah, yeah. Ah. He just he just wanted it over. But I don't know, doing it like a couple of days before the midterm. That's the like I don't think he committed suicide specifically out of spite, but I think the spite played a part in the timing. I mean, it's simmering sad,
2: underneath, but it's just again <laughs> not killing seventeen women. Sad.
1: When he died, apparently he did wink. <laughs> wink. Gotcha. <laughs>
3: And so using a lost hug as a rationalization, Joel began an even deeper slide into the world of street sex work. For the next two years, he spent almost every cent he made doing odd landscaping jobs on front seat blowies and back seat around the world. Oh, like I go Edward all,
2: Scissor's hand. Yeah.
1: And I go all <laughs> the way from Kirk to Greenland. Oh, wow. You go all the way there.
3: additionally joel was also getting scammed and conned by sex workers with fair regularity because joel was an easy mark in one example joel picked up a girl on atlantic avenue here in brooklyn and she directed him to a grocery store parking lot where they could do the deed
1: i like it where you can see with the dumpster with the bananas in it (laughs) that
2: is nice and we're freegans as well so you can eat some tomatoes from there and some salads
3: Now, this wasn't out of the ordinary because a lot of the women on the street had places where they felt safe doing business, you know, a place that's somewhat a mixture of public and private. But as soon as Joel pulled up to a wall in the parking lot, a car pulled up behind him and two guys barreled out claiming to be cops. Mm. In a classic New York style scam, the guys came at Joel fucking hard, saying that the woman currently in his car had reported that someone had stolen 50 bucks from her and Joel was the most likely suspect. Nope.
2: My name isn't someone. My name is Joel Rifkin. Oh, oh it. Damn, it. Oh, damn
3: it. But of course, they said they could take care of it all right now without involving anyone else if Joel just gave them the money. Oh. So I got jo- 30 bucks. Yep. Joel gave him 30 bucks. Do you mind bucks. if
2: I give you $30, but then can I come in 90 seconds still? <laughs>
1: <laughs> what if I already came? Okay.
3: Well, Joel gave him 30 bucks. He claimed that was all that he had. So they said good enough and they left. But after they left... Joel pulled another 30 from under the seat of his car and just went and picked up another woman because he knew, I mean, he had mugger money. Like he knew that he could get conned or scammed at any second. Scamming the scammers. You never did that?
1: I used to put money in my sock.
3: Yeah, mugger money. Oh, of course. All of that money that we had. But growing. no, when I was
1: going, no, honestly, as a kid, but uh, as a young man in New York, I used to put money in my sock because of how many times I was mugged. Uh, and you learn that you hide some money, and then but that's what he would do. Ed Larson you put it in also socks. Yeah, I always put it in my ass. Uh, it's different. I didn't. <laughs> I, did. I wanted to use it again. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Um, yeah. Ed uh, used to do this uh, back in the day when he used to sell a little bit of weed. He used to hide money from himself, and yes. then he used to put money in that's books true. and stuff around. He's the not house.
2: scamming a scammer. He's scamming I mean himself. Yes,
1: but that's what Joel used to do too. In order to make his money last longer, he used to hide money from himself. And he'd put it all over his car, he'd put it all over his apartment, so it wouldn't all go in one go.
2: Okay, whatever. fly right from your grave. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast <laughs> on the left, babe. So go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have Sativa, we have Indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful.
1: Super tasty, live resin. You really get the delicious, weedy taste, which is what I like. And yes. three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We
2: absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape, put it in your brain and have a good
1: time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Last podcast on the left. It's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan.
3: In another scam, Joel said the same girl ripped him off twice using the exact same con. She told him after he picked her up that she lived with her grandmother and if it was all right with him, they could go back to her place to conduct their business. Oh, love is
2: this it. like a two-for-one? Oh, I love <laughs> this. I is it a two-for-one? Two
3: <laughs> so once they arrived, the girl said she had to go inside to make sure her grandmother was asleep, which meant Joel had to wait outside in the car. <sighs> yeah. So you wait out here. I'll go inside, and then I'll come back and get you if she's if she's asleep.
2: But wouldn't it be louder that way? It's double entrance. It's, it's a double... scam, Kisola, oh, <laughs> and it's an obvious
3: scam. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, instead of coming back, the girl just walked through the house to the backyard and hopped the fence, leaving Joel out front with his dick in his hand. I I'm think Chris com- Hansen with MSNBC.
1: I don't <laughs> think she's coming back. Like just the yeah. idea of like yeah. she did it again. Yeah, she, she did it did that two good. times. Yeah.
3: And then he said, I don't know if that was even her house.
0: I don't know. Oh my god. Can you can I ask this though? Do you think that in a way,
1: like he is a quote unquote mark? But I also think again. This is about liking the attention, and that he likes the he likes being in this cyclical world with all of these people. Like,
2: I think he probably would have liked it better if she didn't just walk
1: away with his money. I don't think. I think that he just didn't give a single
3: fuck. I think that he had no care no. He about was himself. probably
2: pretty bummed. He. Well, I I think he was
3: very angry. I I think part of it, I think part of it was also he had these violent fantasies. And, you know, we talk about this again and again where these guys put themselves in a situation where it can be justified. So I think yeah i yes. think part he's of it aiming
1: it well he's i yeah I, th- I,
3: th- I think part of it was that he just you know there was truly times when he's like i would have much rather have had a blow job uh than getting scammed right now but i think he also uh allowed these things to happen um in order to just uh, one day justify well mm. one of these days these violent fantasies are going to come out and they're going to fucking deserve it because of what they'll see me. you'll see what,
2: what
1: i'll do he liked being mad that's, no, that's what it, it is yeah. he liked being mad like there mm-hmm. was something about it because he says there's a there is a clue because mm. he said it was the only time he felt any sort of solace it was the one time he stood up for himself in high school where he yelled at all those dudes it was the one time he ever felt it where he was just like he allowed himself to experience the emotion and there and there was power in his anger
3: mm-hmm hmm. yep. From what it seems, Joel didn't necessarily have a specific stress trigger point that led to his first murder, like other serial killers we've covered in the past, like Dennis Rader getting fired, or like Bundy like discovering that his sister is his mom. Yeah. Instead, it seems like Joel Rifkin, after 10 years of picking up sex workers from the street without incident, 300 by his count, Woo! he decided to finally give in to the violent fantasies that had only gotten stronger since junior high.
2: Okay, now taking the stand, Mr. Rifkin. Okay, hear me out. 300. 300- sex workers, 17 dead.
1: Think about the ratio.
2: (laughs) Ratio. If you're on Twitter Uh, and I got 300 likes and 17
1: dislikes, I'm right. uh,
2: Technically, you're
3: not too far off. Well, see, Joel Rifkin, not surprisingly, still lived with his mother out on Long Island. And in March of 1989, when Joel was 30, Jean Rifkin went out of town on a whitewater rafting trip to Colorado. Oh, that's wow. very active. Good for her. Very yeah. Yeah, her yeah. Well, you know, her husband's. Her husband's he di- died not too long before, and so she's trying to get out there. She's trying to get active. So she's oh, trying she to have to a die. new life. Oh,
1: yeah. She's <laughs> getting railed by a guy on a raft. So yeah, please. Maybe. <laughs>
3: Well, this gave Joel what was pretty much his first opportunity ever to bring a sex worker back home, which was the location where most of his violent fantasies played out. And this is a fairly common occurrence with serial killers, as most commit murders in locations or areas in which they feel comfortable and safe. Eventually, though, emboldened because he rarely came close to getting caught, Joel Rifkin came to feel comfortable and safe almost anywhere in New York City.
2: Ben
1: Kissel, the Buffalo Wild Wings killer. <laughs> the only place he feels at home.
3: <laughs> the Buffalo Yeah, the Buffalo Wild Wings at JFK. That's the yeah. only Oh, place. that's
1: a good one. And the
3: Barney's Beanery <laughs> over here in LAX. Uh,
1: we take a look at the evidence, and it seems that Ben Kissel, in his rage, he massacred over
3: 400 wings this weekend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he left those other 1,000 alone. That was because they were unpaid for.
3: Isn't that nice? So around 10 p.m. one night, after Joel watched an episode of Kojak, mm. he decided to drive his Ford F-350 into Manhattan. And before Jeez, long... Please go
2: to bed, buddy.
3: Yeah. And before... But hey, that's nighttime. He's a man I'm of night. I'm addicted to the night. Oh, I, I
2: forgot you're addicted to the night.
3: <laughs> yeah. 10 p.m. after Kojak, that's when the night begins. Manhattan. That's my okay.
2: nicotine patch. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot.
3: And before long... Joel found a woman named Heidi Balch on East 12th and First Avenue in the East Village. It's where the AMC is. Over I know exactly. Of course, we all know exactly where that that is. Yeah. Now, yeah, across the street from the L-Train Vintage Place. You know that block. Oh, yeah. Now, according to Joel's Mm -hmm. description, which is all we have, Heidi was not doing well, just like a lot of the women Joel murdered. See, this was also a time when AIDS was a particularly bad problem in New York City. And Heidi, from Joel's description, sounds like a heroin addict Deep into a deadly infection. But on the other hand, Joel's description... Oh, man. The descriptions of um, the women that Joel Rifkin killed are devastating. It's really sad. Every single one of them are
1: devastating. Very sad. Because, again, I I felt like that's what he was choosing, was those that were the most sick.
2: So, I mean... Was there a uh, what is it called? Angel of death type thing? Did he have a mercy killing? No, he no. just literally he was did just it. trying to get the weakest people yes. he could find. Yes. 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 yes,
3: absolutely. And but you know, on the other hand, Joel's descriptions of the women he murdered. It seems to, it's a further attempt at dehumanization. Sure. I mean, he implies again and again that their deaths that were no big loss. And ironically, this is often the same justification cops give for not investigating sex worker murders. They use yeah. the exact same fucking thing. It's no weird. It is. Yeah,
1: it's the same thing. It's just like they were literally they were going to die anyway.
3: Yeah. But regardless of Joel's read on the situation, he brought Heidi back to his house in the middle of the night, not worrying what the neighbors might think because Joel was known in the neighborhood as a, quote, eccentric nocturnal creature
1: hey i'm a werewolf (laughs) that's pretty cool
3: and so within minutes of walking in the door joel and heidi had sex and being in a place in which he felt safe that gave rise to even stronger violent fantasies he's setting himself up to do it yeah but nothing happened during the act and afterward heidi took a nap while joel watched 1989 mtv perhaps catching Fine Young Cannibals or R.E.M. or even Millie Vanilli during their short-lived time near the top. Back when the music television actually showed
1: music videos.
2: (laughs) Real music videos. (laughs) Yeah.
3: But once Heidi woke up and wanted to head out to score more heroin, Joel got angry at what he called her single-mindedness. But he did agree to take her, or at least he agreed at first. In a split second, though, Joel claimed that something happened. Something happened. She said something. Something popped in his mind. And instead of grabbing his keys, he picked up an 18-inch long, 10-pound howitzer tank shell he would just bought at a flea market and crushed Heidi's skull with it, raining it down over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, he said he, he started hitting her. He hit her so many times it was when his arms started hurting.
2: Yeah. So we're blaming MTV for this.
1: I I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. I don't think it's that. I actually would more blame ridiculousness later
2: (laughs) on. Oh, my. So just all of a sudden he fucking snapped?
3: Just fucking snapped and decided this is when I'm going to do it. And weirdly, his first instinct after he did it, he turned up the television. As loud he turned as he up could, the television? turned up the television, and he's panicked. He thought the cops are going to be here any second. But as he was closing all the blinds in his house, Heidi got back up. She attacked him the best she could and bit his finger almost to the bone. Damn! But eventually, he pinned her against the wall and held her there by her neck until she finally expired. Then he took a nap.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, he's empty. He's a nothing person. Like, Joel Rifkin experiences nothing. He wants to be as far away from himself as humanly possible. I can actually, it actually kind of makes sense that he took a nap.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess
1: he's exhausted. Well, truly, emotionally exhausted in his own way.
3: When he woke up a few hours later, though, he stuffed the body into a plastic bag and dragged it down to the basement, where he got to work on a methodical disposal. Reducing the act to nothing more than a dissection in a biology class, Joel dismembered Heidi's corpse without compunction. Using an X-Acto knife as a kind of scalpel, he made small, controlled cuts over joints and popped the bones out of their sockets, <sighs> later comparing it to carving up a turkey.
2: Is that why he took biology?
3: No, I know. No. He just took no. biology because he thought he could get a B. Uh-huh. Yeah, he just thought
1: he could get a B, and then the doc- the police all be like, you can actually decapitate somebody using an X-Acto knife, and essentially he just said, you just have to do it real carefully.
2: Just like that episode of Seinfeld, where they wanted an
3: inane emoji. Just like
1: it, and that was a great, cra- would- yeah. I'm glad they kept that scene. All right.
3: <laughs> then, Joel began pulling the teeth out of the decapitated head, oh. although... For some reason, he didn't finish the job. He left four teeth still in there. I don't know why he just went with the... What, how many teeth? I, we got 24, 22? It I sounds like
2: the kind of guy whose father wanted him to get
3: a B.
1: Yeah, it sounded <laughs> like he couldn't figure, he finish just didn't a single finish anything. thing in his yeah. fucking life. Yeah. Yeah.
3: After that, he stuffed the head into an empty paint can, which went in the back of Joel's truck along with the body parts, which were stuffed in 33-gallon trash bags. First, Joel drove to New Jersey, where the head was discarded still in the paint can in what Joel thought was a remote wooded area. About 70 miles north, Joel tossed the bag containing the legs into a creek. Finally, Joel returned to New York City, in the same neighborhood where he picked up Heidi, and heaved the bags containing her arms and torso into the East River off Lower Manhattan back when such things were easily done without much fear of discovery.
1: He had been thinking about this for a very long time. I yeah. think that that's the reason why he jumped right into action is that he that's because it, <sighs> it does seem like a more experienced serial killer yeah. doing this crime, but I think it's cuz he had he'd already had this plan. He knew he was going to do this the second he started hitting her.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Now it seemed like no one was the wiser when it came to the missing sex worker, and in that Joel was correct. But a severed head found in the woods catches everyone's attention. I would because, think so. Yeah. <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> because what Joel thought was a remote wooded area was actually the border of a golf course.
1: Yeah, this fucking what asshole. A fucking moron.
2: But
3: straight
1: yep. up, it was a guy who hit a ball into the rough. He went over there and he found a head in a paint can.
2: Uh, no, Steve, it's play it where it lies. <laughs> and he's just Steve, like, ah, play it where it lies.
1: And that's how I knew. If I could just. Get my wedge in there. I know that if it was laying
0: right on the edge of
3: her teeth. <laughs> yeah. If I could just chip it, if I could just chip it, I could maybe right. make the green. Oh, my
0: God.
3: But no one even came close to Joel Rifkin for the head. And in fact, Heidi wasn't even identified until 2013. And until then, she was known as Susie, I mean, they did try uh, to identify her. They even did, you know, they did some reconstruction. You know, they put they her did a lot. They the put paper. a lot into it. Yeah, there yeah. was one cop who, like, actually took it upon himself. He's like, "I'm gonna fucking figure this out. I'm gonna do it." And it took him until 2013. He fucking did it. So kudos I went to him. down.
2: I went down and I asked every single person, "Do you know a woman with four teeth? <laughs> <laughs> do you know a woman? No one. They all know people with whole whole mouths of teeth." <laughs>
3: Well, as far as Joel's mother went, she returned from Colorado after the murder to find the same disappointing oddball son she'd left, having no idea that a murder had occurred in her absence.
2: So, what'd you do? What'd you do when I was gone, Joel? Just
3: nothing. (laughs) Okay. Music is up really loud on the TV.
1: Yeah. You didn't
2: have a party or anything, did
3: you? Okay. Now, after the murder of Heidi Balch, Rifkin swore off murdering. I'm done.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow.
3: But he continued to pick up sex workers from the street, although he tried stopping that as well for a time. In an attempt to will himself out of both, he began writing daily reminders that said, "No No more P, no more P, no more K. That meant no more prostitutes, no more killing.
1: No more. Stop it. And then I put a rubber band on my wrist.
3: Uh-huh. What
1: I do is every single time I think about mm-hmm. killing a sex worker, I just go snap, I snap it, and I'm like, ow, wow, wow, ow, ow. Well, thank
2: you. thank you so much for coming to our Senate hearing, Justice Rifkin. Um, we really, uh, really appreciate you. So you just keep a calendar of everything. I huh? like beer. Uh, okay. <laughs>
3: But as time passed and he returned to his old ways, Rifkin found that the memory of the murder replayed in his head almost constantly. But where most people would find this loop to be horrific and maddening, Joel described it as annoying. He had no emotional content. Jeez. Yeah. Mostly he was angry that killing now excited him more than sex. And because he found himself fantasizing about killing every woman he was with, he had to fight the urge. And because he had to fight the urge, he couldn't maintain his pitiful little erection.
0: Mm.
3: Meanwhile, Joel almost started relationships with certain sex workers he picked up. Or at least, he seemed to try to get like a sort of girlfriend experience from time yeah. to time, which of course never fucking worked out. I remember yeah. that movie. Yeah. yeah in another incident in which his mother was out of town, Joel brought a woman back to Long Island and hung out all day without having sex. Mm. Instead, the woman stole most of his mother's jewelry when Joel wasn't looking well i and when Jean returned, Joel had to admit that he'd brought a sex worker back to their home and She'd stolen everything.
1: But I kind of feel almost in a way Jean was like at least you did one normal thing and it was getting away sort of. <laughs> kind she was of. real was,
3: mad. She was
2: real Yeah, angry. Yeah, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I'd be fucking pissed. Yeah, upset with all the drool- jewelry and stuff. You know Long Island ladies they love the jewelry. Oh,
1: believe mm. me, I know. <laughs> Buy no. <laughs> I remember my father buying the five carat like tennis bracelet for my mom in the back of a truck somewhere we had to go and it was just like we had to go up above a Chinese food restaurant. Honestly, it was great, great jewelry. Oh <laughs>
3: fantastic. And so using this experience as a justification Joel bided his time until his mother went out of town again. His chance came in late 1990, 18 months after his first murder, when Joel picked up a woman named Julie Blackbird, wow. which sounds like the name of a vengeful spirit who murders serial killers. You just yeah. go that is
1: our fucking next comic book. That was <laughs> Blackbird.
3: Yeah, fucking Julie Blackbird. Uh, yeah. At his mother's house, Joel and Julie watched a little MTV. Perhaps catching the videos for Love Shack. Oh my God, Marcus. or funky, or funky, Cold Medina, or even the forgotten power ballad "When, when Children, Children Cry, Cry" by One Hit Wonders White Lion. I haven't
1: even thought of "When Children wow. Cry"
3: in a while. Can we play a section of that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of hits. Madonna had, had a big year. Paula Abdul, 1989. Big she year. Ru- was she that, ruled. 1989. Was that Cold Hearted Snake? Cold Hearted Snake. I don't think. Snake. I don't think it was Cold Hearted Snake. It was more. Paula Abdul, it's not like opposites of track it's not the ones that you really love it's kind of the lesser Paula Abdul was tracks
2: Amy, Was Amy Grant popular?
3: Amy Grant I think had a hit that year as well I think she was near the bottom of the top 100 list of videos in MTV in 1989
1: 1988 Fiance. was Cold-Hearted Snake. Yeah. And that was when I went, oh, because that was what all of my um, cousins, they uh, they all, all the girl cousins, they got together and they dressed me up as a little girl and we all danced together <laughs> to Cold-Hearted Snake for our family. Look and at you. They choreographed. And you're not like a number. serial
2: killer at all. I've never killed anybody. No. I mean, the only thing I've killed is a Jersey Mike sub. Absolutely. There <laughs> you go. You really got that. Yeah, 1988. That was also the year of a,
3: yeah, unbelievable. Oh!
2: <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. It's pretty believable, but yeah. I right.
3: But after having sex and watching a few more of these wonderful hits of yesteryear... I remember.
2: (laughs) I remember. I'm forced to now.
3: (laughs) All while Joel felt the urge to kill rising, Hmm. he and Julie Blackbird drove to an ATM so he could pay her what he owed. And that was when Joel got a notice... For insufficient funds.
2: Uh-oh. Uh, also, Not I didn't good. know they had ATMs in 1990, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. you can still
1: get them. What well, he didn't know is that back in the day, you could still take money out could and you? put yourself into rears. Yeah, yeah, you could. Eddie taught me that trip. That was another trick that Eddie taught me. <laughs> and you could t- if you run out of money, you could take the money out of your bank account and then just it the negative. Oh.
3: Yeah. No, it's how you get overdraft fees. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cost awesome. is thirty five. You, awesome. you
2: end up having to pay a
1: lot more,
3: yeah, much yeah, much more. Yeah, it's, a, it's a vicious a cycle that keeps a lot of people in poverty. Yeah, that's right. the
2: idea. Yeah, but I need to The nice thing is, it's rent to own. It's rent to own. It's, I'm, it's everything is on
1: layaway. Yeah, layaway. You're only about five hundred years away.
3: Yeah. Well, the rage within Joel hit highest level it could. So he drove back to his mother's house with Julie, claiming that he needed to wait for the bank to open so he could get her the money that she was owed. And they love that. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. But once they walked back into the house, Joel picked up a table leg, one of the many his mother what? had laying around. Uh, his mother, uh, her hobby was restoring old furniture, so there were a bunch of table legs and shit just lit- littering the house.
2: It sounds like his mom was a very independent,
3: strong woman. Yeah, yeah he like, had incredibly
1: they- capable and wonderful parents. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Yeah, there's really no reason, did. yeah. And he used that table leg to beat Julie Blackbird to death.
1: Uh, now, this was like six months, right? Was that, or was it 18 months? 18 months. months. Yeah, it's it was 18, 18 months, months after. Yeah, yeah. Wow.
3: Now, now, Rifkin, of course, blames not himself for this murder, but the ATM. He said that oh. if he would have gotten the cash, he would have paid Julie and just driven her home. And therefore, she would have still been alive today. So it's not he his got fault. One of those, he ATM's got one of those fault.
1: American psycho ATMs. God. That's what he got. Yeah. yeah. It was she put the cat in the machine. <laughs> With the cat in the
2: machine,
3: you know what? I don't remember that. Yeah, I like only watched that movie like PM. once in college. It's great. You rewatch yeah. it; it holds uh, up. It's I might awesome. rewatch yeah. that tonight. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. voting for him. And I'm um, voting for him in
2: November. <laughs> yeah, I wrote,
3: I, I wrote Patrick Bateman in <laughs> yeah. to everything. This year. It's really great. <laughs> but even though this murder supposedly disturbed Joel in the moment, he still, as he did with the first one, took a nap after the murder. This time, though, after taking the body down to the basement he decided he needed a full night's rest before taking care of the disposal because this one was going to be far more labor intensive. I got to do some. I got to take care of me.
1: Yeah, you really All wanna... right, this is just like you see him with his mask. Get your loofah. Mm-hmm. He's, like, yeah, he's got his little facial like, <laughs> yeah. like flappy thing on. He's just watching friends. and mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like there's something I have to do later. Oh, oh, what is it? Oh, this is my time.
3: Remembering how easily part of the last corpse had been found Joel woke up the next morning and drove to Home Depot where he bought a few bags of quick cement after dismembering the body limb by limb again with the help of an exacto knife noting that he was surprised there wasn't a lot of blood to mop up this time because most of it had coagulated already mm. Rifkin brought out the cement the parts were entombed in three separate blocks. But Joel neglected to take into account that even though it was quick cement, it still had to dry. So the slabs sat in his basement for days while he waited for them to solidify. Jesus. And once they were ready for transport, all three were driven and sunk to the bottom of the East River. And even though it took Joel 18 months to take his second victim, the next four would come in rapid succession. And that's where we'll pick back up. The conclusion to our series.
1: Yes, because then he'll do his first of what Joel will go on to call his clusters. He Mm -hmm. would do these in clusters. And next week, it gets a lot more bloody. We're going to talk a little bit more about the reasons why. We don't know why he is this way. and Maybe next week, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, And we're going to hear probably a lot more things about my uncles. Fantastic. Uh, My Uncle Butch, who also worked for the sanitation career, but he also got wiped out by Scandal. There's a lot of... uh, guys made a lot of weird decisions in the early 90s don't
2: mess with sanitation <laughs> that's all i know also the only clusters anyone should have is a peanut cluster we all agree with that thank, thank you oh, Google, what about a goo goo cluster
3: what's a goo goo cluster
2: yeah not everything has to be about the fucking goo goo dolls <laughs> no, not it's, every- no. it's, a, a, it's a wonderful
3: candy is it yeah it's a southern candy a goo goo cluster
2: Let's take a look at it here. I'm uh, guessing goo- goo-, 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 goo goo Cluster. Goo Goo Cluster. Goo- oh, it's just a whole bunch of rotten teeth and spoiled <laughs> <laughs> children.
3: Goo <laughs> no, Goo Cluster is an ice t- cream. It's a tasty combination of nuts, caramel, nougat, and milk chocolate in a deliciously rounded cluster.
1: There's also a thing, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's that's a natural oh. Goo Oh, no, yeah, at I'm at it. it. Oh,
3: fantastic. I guess we wouldn't understand.
1: I guess we wouldn't know. Yeah, it's All a
2: right, Goo Goo right, Cluster
3: thing. Would, y'all wouldn't understand. Y'all wouldn't understand.
2: understand. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. We're going to see you at Comic-Con this weekend, or next, no, two weekends from now, yeah. uh, which we can't wait. We're going to do a little bit of a panel we and some signings. San
1: Diego. We have not gotten any uh, any information about our schedule, but as soon as we have that, we will put that up. Uh, you can come and see us. You must come to Europa. Do we want to like, list off those dates? All right, let's list them off. I'm going to Google Monument. my schedule
2: like I always do. We're going to be in Europe. In Europe, because, you know, when you're American going into the bathroom, an American coming out of the bathroom, what are you in the bathroom? European! European. Those dates
3: are starting in Amsterdam. On October 6th, we're going to be at... Then on yeah. October 10th, and we're, we're going, going to, to in...
1: cover the entire show in gold. Yeah, <laughs> really nice. I don't know. Oh, I love gold. Also, yeah, I have gold.
2: gotten confirmation that the sex museum in Amsterdam, the entire second floor, is still just animal fucking
3: people. I'm just wow. going to avoid it. So uh, no, no one should go there. I'm going to go. I have to go now. No, it's you're going to be
2: traumatized. I got a DM. And the guy was like, <laughs> I still don't understand why it's like that.
3: <laughs> October 10th, Edinburgh. Then we're going to be going to Dublin, Manchester, London, and Birmingham. And that's all going to be in October of this year. So go to lastpodcastontheleft.com to see if you can make it to one of those shows. We can't wait to see uh, you all out there. I had such a good fucking time the last two times. Yes. Uh, and we can't wait to go a third.
1: Can't fucking wait and that's go to right. Z2Comics.com and check out pre-order last comic book on the left, volume two. This time we have a little bit even with even more of a quality. There's so much quality in this. I can't wait. Did you see any of the, the uh, we actually got that big creative roundup yesterday. It's fucking I awesome. Very
3: cool. No, for, for volume two, uh, Rick Veitch did a uh, Philip K. Dick story so that's going to blow your fucking mind. It, it's amazing. So yeah, yeah. We got stuff from all kinds of artists and writers that you guys are going to fucking love. As soon as it comes in, we'll let y'all know.
2: Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for supporting all the shows here on the Last Podcast Network. And yeah, I guess that's about it. That's it. I'm happy we finally got to Joel Rifkin. The guy is more pathetic than I even thought. He is. Yes, indeed. And this is
1: coming from a real Randy Kraft fan
2: a <laughs> guy who fucking loves it. I hate you. All right, everyone, hail yourselves. Hail, Satan. Again. Congratulations, everybody.
1: Hail me. You got a chance. You got an extra minute. And toss a ham away.
2: Toss a ham his way and hug your children, apparently, or they're gonna become serial killers as if being the as if the pressure of being a parent wasn't enough.
1: Sell your children. Okay. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to LastPodcastNetwork.com.